Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for August 2nd, 2022. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast feed or our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at, at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. You just click the boxes to sponsor this podcast. And you can set up a one-time or recurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal. Iron Mike Spears joined alongside, as always, my friend and co-host, Case Low. In case, Kobe World Week in 2022 is behind us, but how are you holding up, buddy? I'm doing okay. It was a, a very busy weekend for me, but any Kobe World Weekend is a good weekend. Uh, seven years of me reviewing Kobe World for VoicesOfWrestling.com, which is strange to think about. Uh, this was one of the more eventful Kobe Worlds, I, I think, that I, I've reviewed when you look at the weekend as a whole. And there is a whole lot to discuss today. Yeah, and I think that's just that there's just no better way to like segue into it. We're going to be talking all about Ultimo Dragon's 35th anniversary celebration and Kobe Pro Wrestling Festival 2022. Both sides of the Kobe World a weekend double header, and it, it, it's something that just like off the top, this in a lot of ways felt different than other Kobe Worlds, whereas last last year it did not necessarily feel like it was different even though it was two nights. This time, it really felt that way. Yeah, I became gravely concerned when I saw the card for the second night, the official Kobe World with the first night being Ultima's 35th anniversary show. You know, on paper, I really liked the Ultima show. I watched that show live, you know, in the wee hours of the morning, and I've got some thoughts on on that show and, and where it delivered and where it didn't. And then seeing the announced card for what ended up being Kobe World, it really hit me like, okay, they, you know, the roster's thinned. They're out of ideas for certain guys. They are feeling the pressure of having to do two nights in Kobe. And I hope, you know, I, I obviously I hope by next year that things are back to air quotes normal and they're able to pack that building and these fans are able to make noise. 
But even if they're not, I would really prefer it being one night because I think last year they got lucky being in the Dreamgate situation they were in where they were able to have some really interesting Dreamgate matches, even if we didn't like the way they got to them. The roster was deep enough to do some pretty cool things with the Twin Gate belts. And you had the retirement of Masato Yoshino, which justified that second show. And this year, given the attendance, given the issues that we had in the build-up to the show, I think this was a a rare, notable business and creative failure for Dragon Gate. And having Kobe World be two nights really exposed those issues. Yeah, it, it's something that talking about the second night of Kobe World when they announced the card for it, you, you look at the card and virtually everything that was of value was decided by the time that the main event already hit the ring it, uh, the night before. So you look at like the rest of the stuff they put on the card here and it, it's a good thing they had the skateboard family in their back pocket because if they did not have that skateboard family in the back pocket, you really had nothing on this night two undercard. And it's something that business wise, I know in case you wanted to get into it, it's, Something where I think everyone was expecting this to be down from last year. I I forget what number privately I was thinking about for it, but they managed to. Ju- I, I forty five hundred was a number that was like two nights. If that's what what it ends up being, that's not good. But that's something that's just not an outright disaster. And ended up uh, case. What was the combined attendance between for the two nights? Oh boy, the combined attendance, that that is going to require me to pull out my calculator real fast because I just had the two numbers together. But if I vamp just long enough, I can get you that answer. Just under 4,500. Yes, so 4,430 combined for the two shows. So so I I think I said 4,500 was the number, basically. And they were just under that. And when you compare that to last year with the Speedstar Final, big drop-off, and you even compare it to like the the halved capacity one that they had in November case, I, I feel like it's something that kind of shows a story about the care that they put into the. Yeah. So the individual numbers, the Ultimo 35th anniversary show did a mere 1,915 fans on the 30th Kobe world 2022 did 2515. If you go back and look at last year's numbers, Kobe world night one last year did 2,396 and the Masato Yoshino retirement show speed star final did 3,580. And like Mike said, if you go back to November of 2020, that odd Kobe world at the end of quarter four, basically that did 2,386. And that was, uh, one of the the early big pandemic shows. I mean, they had been on the road since July at that point, so they would have done a Dangerous Gate, a Gate of Destiny two weeks earlier, and then that Kobe World, but the restrictions were different. And with Ata and Skywalker in the main event, they were still able to do 2,386 fans. So this year's Ultimo show doing below 2,000, and then Kobe World official to, uh, 2022 doing just over 2,500 that is a rough business weekend for Dragon Gate. And I think there's a couple of ways to kind of take this. I think first and foremost, I, I as we said up top, it's really showed like that they had something during Speedstar Final. And maybe I, I think that there is. And it's something that at least like been able to infer with talking people. I think there is a 
big disparity in the importance that Dragon Gate puts in Ultimo Dragon and how the fan base views Ultimo Dragon because I do not think Ultimo Dragon's 35th anniversary show as a show drawn can see uh, succeeded at all. I think it was an outright failure with that number. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. And that's only interesting to me because of how hot the first Toriumon reunion show felt. And I think if you would have pitched the idea to me, let's say in January of let's do a, a 35th Ultimo anniversary show, let's bring in Santo and let's have a Dreamgate match that feels hot, which I think Yoshioka versus Kai did. Yoshioka versus Minoru was another story. I would have probably given that the thumbs up and to see it not only bomb, but bomb as badly as it did was a little surprising to me. Yeah, and it's something that you brought up the Corkin and the uh, the Torimon reunion shows case. And it's not going to surprise you that these Torimon reunion shows, with the exception of the uh, the Kness, reunion, uh, Kness retirement, that was the best drawing Corkin Dragon Gate had in, in the COVID era. But it's something that's like, okay, it worked here. Why didn't it work for Ultimo? Well, you're celebrating Toriumon versus celebrating one person. And I, I, Jay said it on air, and I've been, been banging this drum. I do not believe that Hio Del Santo was worth the ticket. I think that, 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 that it's a nice moment, but there was no business sense whatsoever to do that. And when you look at how everything panned out, like how could the show draw more than this? I don't think that they set themselves to succeed as we've been tackling this for the last month, Gabe. I, I would completely agree with that. I don't really have anything else to add. I'm a little surprised it did as poorly as it did. I didn't expect it to kill it by any means, but to do under 2000, I think is a real big red flag. And it's, it's one of the few instances where we've seen Ultimo in a featured position since his return three years ago, which by the way, three years of Ultimo and Dragon Gate, that is crazy to think about. But uh, I, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I, I was very concerned when Ultimo came in that we were going to get a lot of him in main events. He was going to be beating young guys. He was essentially going to be doing the Mudo, and that didn't happen. And we see him in a rare spot where he's a featured player, and it did not work out. So, so they've played their cards right up until this point when when they when they messed up. And I would argue, and this is something that's like I we don't need to go down this road right now. I would argue that a lot of people that like look at booking things and are saying, oh, that's an Asawa thing. Oh, it's an Asawa trait. I see a lot more similarity with this with like late 2003 Torimon than I do with whatever Nosawa has promoted. Like it's ultimate. This is what I've this is what I've been saying. I mean, I, there's there there is potential with people that cover Dragon Gate on the surface level and and we'll know you know Thursday and Friday of this week to really expose themselves as being absolutely lost when it comes to covering this company and I don't say that in a pretentious way by any means I say that out of frustration over the last two or three months with the misinformation that has poured out of respectable sources because this has been my point for most of this year is these Cork and Hall shows in particular feel like vintage Torimon shows. I said that, uh, oddly enough, the, the weekend of King of Gate and Torimon Reunion Volume 2, where I spoke on, you know, the King of Gate show was full of angles and sub-10-minute matches, and it, it it felt like exactly what you were saying. It felt like social dance era. Magnum Tokyo was the top guy. 2003 Torimon. That has been the vibe for most of this year. 
in on the Venn diagram of 2003 Torimon and Nozawa's booking traits, there's certainly some middle ground there. But yes, this has been my point all along was a lot of what has happened this year is actually more so from the Ultimo school of booking than it is the Nozawa uh, school of booking. So, so it's going to be fun to see who fails that test on Thursday and Friday, won't it? I'm dreading it. I, oh, oh, it's not going to – I say fun with all the eye rolling and also knowing that I'm going to be out of town so I can miss some of it. <laughs> so I think it's going to be bad. I, I think the uh, – I, 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 whenever the Observer comes out, I do the Command F and I go straight to the Drangate section. That's always been my – my go-to even before they were just wildly printing misinformation about Dragon Gate, but lately it's been I, I spend my Friday mornings getting angry at at doing that activity, and I, I expect myself to be very angry this week when I open up the Observer. So let's talk about something that maybe won't get you as angry, Case. Uh, the big story coming out of Kobe World Weekend, of course, was the situation with the Open the Dream Gate title. Kai walked in uh, Kobe World Memorial Hall as the Open the Dream Gate champion, and two title matches potentially up in front of him if he were to escape uh, Kobe as champion. That didn't happen. Instead, the only uh, acceptable outcome, not just from a not just from like a fan standpoint, from a booking standpoint, the only thing that, that, that should have happened happened. Yuki Oshioka de- defeats Kai on night one, defeats him on the Ultimo 35th anniversary show for Frog Splash, and then follows it up the next night with defeating uh, Kota Minora, again, making his V1 less than 24 hours later. He wrestled basically 15, 50 minutes of Dreamgate matches within a 24-hour period. But Yuki Oshioka now is the unquestioned top dog in Dragon Gate. Yuki Oshioka did what he could control. He hit that stuff out of the ballpark. There's a lot of uncontrollables in wrestling. He couldn't control the build of this match. He couldn't control the way that that Coach Minor has been presented. He couldn't control what Kai had done up to this point in his Dreamgate run. But what Yoshioka could control was not only giving maximum effort in both of these Dreamgate matches, but crushing it along the way. And I think he did just that. If there was a positive to come out of this weekend from a creative and a business sense, it is that Yuki Yoshioka left this weekend, like you said, looking like the top dog in Dragon Gate, and I don't think there's any questions about that going forward. When you look at the lineage of Dreamgate champions, I think he is the most complete babyface Dreamgate champion we've had since 2016 Yamato. You go through the list of guys in between that run where Yamato won the title at World 2016, and now, and you look at the babyfaces there, Masaki Mochizuki, uh, as good as he was during that run, post-prime run, isn't the kind of guy we're talking about. Masato Yoshino in 2018, same story. Ben K in 2019, Shun Skywalker in 2020. It's the same story with those guys. We knew they were going to deliver great matches, and they did, but they weren't guys, despite being Dreamgate champions, that the company could rely on to have these show-closing promos, to have this hot character work that could lead into a heavily contested Dreamgate match. Now, of course, if Shun got the belt tomorrow, that would be a different story. But we're talking about babyface Shun Skywalker, who, for as good of a wrestler as he was, wasn't the complete character. Yamato winning the belt last year, I had a ton of issues with it. I thought his reign, although the matches were good, the character work was stale. Yuki Yoshioka is a guy who could have those great matches and have that great character. I feel really bullish about his future as the top uh, Dreamgate champion. I look forward to his reign because it could go in a million different directions. I have no idea who his next challenger is going to be. 
and I thought he did a wonderful job this weekend. I can't remember the last time that Yuki Yoshioka put a bad foot forward, even dating back to the Daya Inferno act, which I did not care for the act in particular, but he performed it to the best of his abilities. I thought that there were certain things about that act that, you know, just did not look like it, something that should have been happening in a Dragon Gate ring, but everything. Well, got- and, and I'll even say to that, because I was a little more higher on Daya Inferno than I think most people were, the moments where he, he, was unable to control what was happening with that character was when Dragon Daya was out with a broken collarbone. Right. And, and we saw whatever momentum had been built up to that point between the debut, which I thought was incredible, and then the non-finished singles matches with Dragon Daya. All of that was put to a halt when when Dragon Daya got hurt at the start of 2021. And then through the back half of the year, I, I thought that character got back on the right track once Daya became the wrestler that he became. So yeah. even, even with that, I look at Daya Inferno as a net positive. Yeah, and that's entirely fair. And it's something that even with like all the stuff he could control, Yuki Yoshioka does not take a wrong step forward. I've said for years that the, the person that I would con- compare him to is Susumu uh, Mochizuki, but now we have someone that as great as Susumu Mochizuki is, not necessarily known as your big Rally the Troops show closing promo. Yuki Yoshioka always was the person out of the class of 2016 that people were like, He's going to be the talker out of the group. So the fact that you like you look at it and you have someone who has like the uh, the impact and speed of BB Hulk with the grappling of Yamato with the looks of Yamato. I I mean, there's a lot of things that that remind you of Yamato about him, except his freak athleticism in a lot of ways. But it, everything that he did this weekend was exactly as it should. He looks like. The champion. You got the big moment with him and Daya, even though Daya will get into the Brave Gate later on. You got the big moments to close each night with the two of them in the ring. And that's something that that's the Doyoshi hallmark there. They love being able to have like that happen, especially around the Dreamgate title. And I I, I guess and I wrote about this a little bit in the uh, review for Kobe World at Voices of Wrestling. Like my, my big thing about this weekend and about the Dreamgate as we get into talking about how everyone looks at it, I don't know how much I should really applaud Dragon Gate for this in comparison to say, Yuki Oshioka, you took the ball and you scored a touchdown in this because it just, Yuki Oshioka, everything that was in his control, he delivered with. It's just that everything else that let him down was completely out of his control here. And I don't know if we should apply Dragon Gate for sticking to landing. No, I, I think if, if Yoshioka had merely met the the bare minimum uh, of having good to great matches and winning this title, I, I think we would have left this weekend a little a little disappointed or at least not as confident in Yoshioka as we are, but he stuck these landings. I mean, he did exactly what he needed to do to get his reign started off on the right foot. So I, I applaud Yoshioka far more than I do Drangit as a company, which is rare here because the the communal effort is normally rewarded with communal praise but this is one where i have to solely uh point my praise towards yoshioka and to some degree kai and to a a very minor degree kota minora let me throw out an early concern i have about yuki yoshioka's dreamgate run you tell me if it's valid or if i'm overreacting okay sure when ben k won the title in 2019 he had all of this momentum. We were ready for that win. 
and it happened. And I think Yoshioka had Minora not gotten involved in the scene if this was just straight Yoshioka versus Kai this weekend. I actually think we would have been able to draw some really nice parallels between Yoshioka and, and Ben K in 2019. One of the issues that Ben had as a champion was that he did not have a unit. If you remember that August to November, December timeframe, he was teaming a lot with Shun Skywalker, but Skywalker was beginning his descent into madness and his eventual, you know, trip to Mexico, which is, you know, what spawned that. Yoshioka is not in a unit. He only has Dragon Daya. Obviously, they're a well-oiled tag team. You can headline shows with them. You can headline a Cork and Hall show with them. Osaka, Kyoto, Kobe. You can headline the entire loop with them. But he doesn't have that artillery. And I thought that was something that really benefited Shun Skywalker was one night you're going to have Shun teaming with Jason and Daya. The next night you can have Shun teaming with Minora and Estrella and Masquerade. And it kept him fresh. He always had somebody new around him. Yoshioka is likely going to be teaming with Daya and maybe Ishinihashi, maybe some of the scrubs, you know, maybe we get some Yoshioka Sachihoko boy tag team matches. Does that concern you at all? Because it doesn't seem like there's any movement to get Yoshioka into a unit. I I don't want to sound like I'm lawyering you with this case, <laughs> but he has a unit. It's D-Courage. Like they, like they sold like Shun and, and Benkei stuff in 2019, but it was like the little stickers, you know, it wasn't yeah. like, like real like ben and shun like they might have had like one t-shirt that probably didn't sell very well and then they quickly forgot it d courage is a thing and it's something that when you look at the unit battlefield right now and especially uh status of high end uh as always gold class like this you have like the framework here and you could really build on the idea that all right yuki oshioka has like said that like okay i'm going to be the right champion, like like the person you want to be in front of the company because this is what I want to do. He's going to need to build out a unit because if you're going to lead the company, you need to do that because everything you raised about Binke, all the points about how the fact that they were unaffiliated completely cut him off of the path because if he wasn't doing title stuff, it was losing in tag matches with Shun Skywalker or teaming with Gamma. So like that is a... That, that, that is something that, that could trip him up here. I just think that with D-Courage right now and the overall unit battlefield, I, I think D-Courage isn't going to remain a two-person act. from If they are a two-person act by Get Destiny, I'd be surprised. I think they're going to have to expand. Okay, that's super interesting to me because the way D-Courage has been presented, I see, in, in my mind, they're locked in on that just being Dai and Yoshioka, and that is my concern is that, yes, you're right, they are a unit now, but there's only the two people, and I, I don't see Drangate changing course on that, which concerns me only a little bit, because you're exactly right, you know, if now, luckily the belt, the Brave Gate belt is off of Dragon Daya, so he doesn't have anything to build to, so we can do, you know, Daya and Yoshioka and Maria, or, uh, you know, Daya and Yoshioka and Kondo in a main event if we have to. Fuji. Fuji, uh, you know, again, Ishinihashi, Madoka Kakuta, those are guys that can that can team with D Courage if they need to in match five or even the main event, depending on who that third guy is. I I just worry that that is going to limit the possibilities when they're building to Dreamgate matches. And I thought that was something that aided Shun so well. Obviously, all of those Masquerade versus Red Multi Man matches that we loved was there was always a combination of guys that you could turn to with Shun to keep him fresh and to keep him exciting. I love D-Courage. I love their tag team matches. I love the work that they're doing as individuals. I just worry that 
if we go through August and it's straight Daya Yoshioka two-on-two tags against whoever is challenging for the belt, whether it be Ben K or somebody else, that by the time we get to Nara on August 28th, we are going to be sick of Daya and Yoshioka already, and it's going to hurt the Dreamgate run whether we want it to or not. Yeah, because it changes things like it when it was just Daya as Bravegate champion like they still kept Yuki Oshioka strong because they had the plans that he was going to like anyone who again talking about reporting Yuki Oshioka was booked insanely strong and protected all year long since revealing himself as himself basically not to cut you off but it it, this is something that has been maybe we shouldn't waste time on this but this has always been a a thing with certain people who claim to have Drangate scoops is, oh, well, they got Yoshioka winning King of Gate right. I'm sorry, they didn't take a fucking rocket scientist to predict that Yuki Yoshioka was going to win King of Gate. It was, in my mind, either going to be KZ or Minora. In Eita. your mind, it was Ata, or it was going to be Yoshioka. It, 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 yeah. That doesn't deserve the credit. You, you don't deserve credit for predicting that in the way that some people have, have lauded that on other people. But I digress. No, but it, it, it's something that y- you look at how the, the pairing is like they were able to uh, maybe they learn from Ben and June in a way about having like, OK, this is like a set group, like the two of them, like they're going to have a name. They have colors. They have T-shirts like maybe that helps out that. But it, it is something that it could very easily trip him up there. Like that is if there's like one worry coming out of Kobe World Weekend, it is the fact that. Courage right now is a two-person unit. Maybe things change relatively quickly. I think that they will, personally. I think there's a lot of stuff coming out of Kobe World, both in the ring and outside of the ring, that will necessitate some changes that I think that Courage will end up being fine. But they, but you're right. This is They do have a cautionary tale in recent history, too. I, I just worry that if it stays a two-person unit, and let's say, for the sake of example... We're building to Yoshioka versus Ben K for the Dreamgate build at Dangerous Gate. I just worry that if you know we headline a Kobe show with Yamato and Dragon Kid and Ben versus Daya Yoshioka and Ryo Saito, that it is going to, again, hurt Yoshioka's reign in an unfair way to him. But those matches are just going to bog down, I think, the, the X factor or the luster that Yoshioka has right now. Because coming out of this weekend, you know, into Cork and Hall on the 10th and into Osaka on the 15th and into the, you know, the double shot of Fukuoka the next weekend, like in my mind right now, whatever Yoshioka is doing, that is must watch. I am excited to see what comes next type of stuff. I just worry that it could be devalued very, very quickly. Yeah. And it, it's something that imagine how bad it would have been if they still did some revenge or tagly coming out of this. <laughs> well, like- th- that would, that would actually might maybe be a benefit just in, it, simply because it's decouraged, this might be the one time where a Dreamgate champion, a new Dreamgate champion, could be helped by Summer Adventure Tag League. Okay, maybe, y- maybe, maybe. I don't know, but maybe. Uh, so Yoki, so Yuki Oshioka comes out as champion, the former champion Kai. Of uh, let's take stock of Kai. You know, I mean, had a seven month Dreamgate run, the most surprising Dreamgate champion. I, other than the Yoshida loss, I don't think that there's I, I the Yoshida the one Yoshida match is the only negative mark I I think I would put at Kai as Dreamgate champion and boy is it going to be fascinating about what what's up with Kai coming out of this. I think history is going to be very kind to this reign. I I was thinking a lot 
after I watched these two shows because I think there's a historical importance to to these shows, and I can I can kind of sense that just leaving this weekend. These are going to be shows that we're going to reference a lot within the next few years because I think this is a, a another small turning point for the company, and at least in my mind, thinking four or five years down the line, I think I'm going to think very favorably of this Kai World title run. And part of that is that I had the lowest of low expectations going in. I did not want Kai to be Dreamgate champion. I didn't want his lineage, his presence to to murk up the Dreamgate scene. He had an okay match in which he won the belt against Yamato. He had a very unfair start to his reign teaming, or I'm, I'm sorry, wrestling against Takashi Yoshida for the Dreamgate belt, which is just an awful position to put anybody in. But then after that, he had the Shimizu match at Champion Gate in Osaka, which I not only loved the match, I loved the build, which is a constant issue that I've had with Kai, is that I don't necessarily think he performs very well in your Kobe's, in your Kyoto's, in your Fukuoka's. I thought he performed very well against Shimizu in the build to that match. I thought the Susumu Yokosuka match going into this weekend was my match of the year worldwide, not just in Dragon Gate. And then 20 of the 21 minutes of the Shuji Kondo match in July, I thought were excellent. So this was a really, really solid reign going forward from Kai, going forward for Kai rather. The only thing I want is for him to not be in the twin gate scene for the rest of the year before he won the stream gate belt. I, I had an issue I talked about on the show. The Twin Gate scene used to be so exciting. And then there was like a two and a half year stretch where it was some combination of Yamato, BB Hulk, and Kai. And they were always champions or challengers. And even if some of those matches were really strong, it's just not what I wanted from the open the Twin Gate scene this weekend being the reason why. I need Kai to not be around those belts for a little bit. And I think I'll enjoy his next chapter. I'm going to be fascinated by the idea. Now, Zebrats. They they had the Dreamgate title, and they had the Twingate titles. Now all they have is the biggest mouth, and the weakest member of the unit is Bravegate champion. Yeah, the person who was your leader, basically because he was Dreamgate champion, now no longer has the Dreamgate championship. Ah, things could things could shake up really quickly, and someone that I think could be really involved in that shakeup case is the the third man, Kodaman and Nora. I thought he. He's going to have a hell of a heel run in it if they're going to opt to him turning heel out of this week. And I thought he really conducted himself well as a heel. Okay, so let's talk roster roundup for a second when we talk about Minora. Obviously, he lost Kaito Ishida. He is gone from the company. I would expect, and I don't, I, I'm not reporting this. I would just expect Kaisuke Akuda's roster page to be gone Maybe by the time most people hear this, there's a, there's a lot of rumblings that Akuda could be gone at any moment. He was not included in any of the wrestler-specific unit merchandise that was sold over Kobe World Weekend. They did like high unit keychains that were Yamato, Drankid, Benkei, and Kakatora. So mentally prepare yourselves for no more Akuda. Again, that is just my, my gut instinct is by the time most of you hear this, he'll be gone from the roster page. And if not, then certainly before Cork and Hall. So you're left with a depleted high end. You're left with gold class with three guys, two of which are a pair, one of which is Naruki Doi, who can kind of do anything he wants because he's he's that level of over when he's not around Kota Minora. 
And then you have Zebrats, who have Kai as their leader without the Dreamgate Championship. You have SP Kento, who's going to America, which we'll talk about later. Are you sensing a big unit shuffle that leads to Kota Minora abandoning the gold class name and doing something else? What, what do you think the next move is for Minora? I think that there is... I, I, I think this... I, I'm going to pitch this idea I had coming out of this, and we can get more in-depth on it in a future week, but they've never really done a class of 2016 unit and you already have hyo and shun skywalker as heel you're not turning yuki oshioka ben looks like a very easy person to turn heel right now and you add him with kota menora into z brats and maybe you expel kai out of like a power struggle and then hyo takes over leadership I think you have something there. You don't have to rechange Zebrats. High end DK and Yamato, they're going to go find their thing. There are two people not to worry about with this. Kagatora, he'll fill out somewhere eventually. I think you you basically have to blow up those two units. Maybe you bring Minor you've been you bring Minorita in with Minora there, and suddenly a very now small heel unit, which is now down to five people with SB in the States. It gets three more people, and now you get some more lost posts, and it kind of lets you move the parts around that you need to to create more face units, I think. Get the heels out of the way. I think they're doing something with the class of 2016, and I can't figure that out, that out yet. I should note, class of 2016, and maybe you were the one that told me this, three Dreamgate champions in the class of 2016 they are the first class, assuming that you count Shingo, Hulk, and Tozawa as being in a different class than Yamato, KZ, and Yuki Ono. The only class in Dragon System history with three Open the Dreamgate champions. And Hio is now the Bravegate champion. Each of them, each member who stuck, has won their divisional champion. Yeah, Katsumi Takashima is the other one from the class of 2016. He wrestled... I don't know, maybe 40 matches in his career and then had to retire due to injuries. And, you know, he's somebody who at the very least is historically significant for 12-1-16, which is a match that we always reference. But to have the four remaining guys all be in the spot they are in is incredible. I think any promotion in the world would kill for that six-year growth. Yeah, uh, Jay brought up the class of 2016 constantly in commentary. I rewatched the uh, the title matches today <laughs> just to keep things fresh, and Jay made sure to bring that up about Yuki Oshioka. So maybe that's what put it in your head. Yeah, possibly. So any, it, yeah, I I like the so your your proposed unit just to make sure that I'm understanding you here would be Hyo, Ben, Shun, Minora, and Minorita. With Diamante. With, yeah, I like that. Boy, God, that's... That solves a lot of problems, doesn't it? I normally don't like when new Dreamgate champions are just fed this guy, this guy, and this guy from the heel unit. Like, that's where I like a Susumu to come into a play or a a Don Fuji to come into play to get one of those interesting face-versus-face Dreamgate matches. But with that unit you just laid out, Yoshioka versus Ben... 
is a very interesting Dreamgate match. Yoshioka versus Shun is a fascinating Dreamgate match. Yoshioka versus Diamante is maybe only a Corkin or Osaka number two level Dreamgate match. As for as much as I love Diamante, I don't have any evidence that he would be, uh, it would be appropriate for him to headline a Gate of Destiny or a Dangerous Gate or a Final Gate. But oh my God, a Yoshioka versus Diamante match. And then obviously a possible Yoshioka versus Minora rematch at some point. That is a heel unit that Yoshioka could run through and I think it would do everybody a lot of good. Yeah, and, you know, it lets you kind of play off of Kota Minora's kind of heelish instincts. Because, I mean, you talk about the main event and on the 31st, and, like, other than Yuki Yoshioka is a freak of nature athletically, my big takeaway is, like, Kota Minora was, like, doing, like, these facial, heel facial expressions, and just, he's really good at getting over the petulance in his like he 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 he's one of the better petulant wrestlers is what I'm trying to say. Like he looks indignant whenever like Yuki Oshoka kicked out of the R301. He looked indignant at that. And I thought that that was something I was like, all right, there's something here with Kota if they want to go down this route. And you know, my big thing about Zebrats, no fall posts. Minorita as like a heel mascot is a perfect fall. And Hyo without a title is also a fall post for because he's he is that magical guy that I think every booker wants where he can beat anybody and lose to anybody. And with the current way that he's presented, he's fine no matter what. Yeah, so it's something that after the match and with Jay saying that constantly in commentary, it kind of planted the seed in me that I think going heel with that and blowing up Zebrat, not not blowing up Zebrat, Zebrat still exists, blowing up high end, blowing up gold class. Don't touch natural vibes. Don't ever touch natural vibes. No, They're don't doing touch group. natural vibes. Yeah, yeah, please don't touch natural vibes. Uh, did you have any other big takeaways around the Dreamgate scene before we uh, moved along? Well, I'll, I'll end with this on Menorah. You know, I have always been a huge proponent of him. I said when we did our 2022 predictions at the start of the year, I thought he would headline this show. I thought he would do it uh, maybe against Shun Skywalker with Minora coming in as Dreamgate champion. Um, that did not happen, and I hated the way that we got to this spot. I thought Minora on the weekend as a whole was a net neutral, didn't do a lot to impress me, but more importantly, after the last two months, didn't do anything to take away my enjoyment from these shows. And I still remain incredibly bullish on his future. I think he'll be a former or a future Dreamgate champion, and I think he'll be a damn good one at that. But we have seen in record time, in a little less than six months, the potential of what Gold Class could have been has been torpedoed into the ground, and I think it's going to help everyone on the roster if this unit is abandoned sooner rather than later. But long-term, I'm not worried about Kota Minora. I still think he's going to be a guy. I still think he's incredibly talented. I just think they did irreparable damage for his unit and for him and for the Dreamgate belt getting to this spot. Yeah, no. And I think the easiest way to do this is have the Minorita and Minora turn on Doi immediately at COVID, at Corkin on the 10th. Just, just rip the Band-Aid off at this point. You know, it, it's completely different than high end because high end can functionally have matches. I mean, not to belabor a point case, but I the the undercard match with with uh, Aganiso versus Doi Minorita was like the most awkward thing possible for me during this card. 
watching this thing because it just like had everything on display about why gold class can't exist anymore. Yeah, I'm really excited for this August 10th cork, and which obviously we'll talk about next week. It'll be uh, a week from when most of you are listening to this, and that's probably one of those shows. Not to do an on-air production meeting, but it's probably smart for us to wait and yeah. record later in the week because I, I I think that's going to be a very newsworthy show. And you're exactly right. I hope that either Menorah and Minorita kick this old man out of their unit as soon as possible. Or it might be fun because it's Doi. I, you know, it, it, in a strange way, maybe Doi's the one that that stays heel, and Menorah and Minorita are able to get some sympathy. But I, I think Menorah, over the last few months, has proven that he has to be a heel for a little while longer. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you on that. Port for Open the Voice Gate is brought to you by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking f- easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's number one, America's number one meal kit. And let me talk to you about the convenience case because we had two big four and a half hour long shows to watch this weekend and cover. The fact that you can have quick and easy recipes with 20-minute meals and low prep and low cleanup. I hate having to clean up like in the kitchen after I'm done, especially like dicing onions. I hate doing that. But with HelloFresh, they make it even faster to put a route from you from your kitchen to the kitchen table around your pack schedule, just like a Kobe World Weekend case. You know, summer's winding down, and I need to make the most of every moment uh, because – we're already in August, and that is that is sick to my stomach. But the great news is I can maximize my time sitting at home watching Japanese wrestling because I can skip trips to the grocery store with HelloFresh. I'm looking at two meals on this HelloFresh menu guide, Mike, that are speaking my language. The lemony spaghetti with Brussels sprouts, and then right beneath it, the sweet heat shrimp tempura bowl. Those are right up my alley. Those are things that I am going to devour with my next HelloFresh box, because I don't need to go to the grocery store. I can gear up for a busy fall season with 55 plus weekly options, and I can take the stress out of meal planning and prepping. I have enough going on in my life. I don't need an Excel spreadsheet of what I'm going to eat and when. I just rely on that HelloFresh box to come to my apartment, and I can do the rest. So this all sounds good to you, I bet, at this time. So what you do to take advantage of HelloFresh and their fantastic offer that they are giving us this week, it is 16 free meals across seven boxes and three free gifts. You go to HelloFresh.com slash VOW16 and use that VOW16 promo code for those 16 free meals across seven boxes and three free gifts. That is VOW16 at HelloFresh.com slash VOW16. HelloFresh. America's number one meal kit. All right, Case, should we talk about the Triangle Gate next because it had two matches across two nights, or should we talk about... Let's talk about the Twin Gate now. I think that's why most people are here, and I I think they'd like to hear our thoughts on it. So on night one, the Ultimo Dragon 35th anniversary show, we had the Open the Twin Gate championship match between the reigning champions from Zebrats, Shun Skywalker and Diamante, versus the challenger team from the Kobe Kung Fu Fighters, or Kung Fu Masters. My apologies. I should get them right, their name right, because they're the new Open the Twin Gate champions as Jackie Funky Kamei and Jason Lee defeated the the uh, the Zebrats team when Jackie Funky Kamei hit the Project A top rope Casadora driver in 18 minutes and 22 seconds. And what I have, Case, is one of the top two matches in Kobe World. 
This is one of the best matches in Dragon Gate history. And in a vacuum, I think it's great. Without context, I think it's great. But I, I think the cool thing about this match, for somebody like you or I, somebody who's watching the Kobe Sambo Hall shows, the Kyoto shows, somebody who's devouring all of this Dragon Gate Network content, is we talked all year last year about how great these Masquerade versus RED multi-man matches were, but there wasn't that one we could point to. You know, there wasn't a Kobe match that was so much better than an Osaka match or a Tokyo match. They were all in that four, four and a quarter, maybe peaking at four and a half star range, which was awesome. And it was this consistency that I love from this promotion. But with those guys, there wasn't that one match that we could point to and go, yep, that's the one. This is the one historically that people are going to remember. And even though it took a year to get here, and even though it was with Zebrats and the Kung Fu Masters, which who would have thought when this unit started they would have one of the all-time great Drangate matches in history, and now we'll live in infamy as a unit that we'll always have to refer to. But the guys, you know, Jason Lee and Shun Skywalker and Diamante and then Jackie Funky Kame, who was never involved in that scene of R.E.D. versus Masquerade, but has always been one of our guys, they now have it. They have that match. They have what is, for me, a five-star match. I talked about it uh, on Twitter a little bit this week. I've been reviewing Dragon Gate for seven years now. This is the third five-star match I have given in that time period with Masaki Mochizuki versus Shingo Takagi from November 1st, 2015 being one, and then the RED versus Torimon Generation Unit Disbands match from December 20th, 2020 being the other one. This now joins that club. This is a five-star match. This is one of the best matches in Dragon Gate history, and of course, by proxy, one of the best matches in Kobe world history. I am just over the moon about this match. And I'm over the moon for my main man, Jackie Funky Kamei. Case, you got to have all this time because you took you picked Kento Kabune when he debuted. Well, you, you, it's funny you were you were alluding to a Yoshioka Yamato comparison earlier on, and I had to hold back because I've said since SB Kento, then Kento Kabune's debut match, I said, this kid is the new Yamato. And I stand by that, and everything that's happened over the last three years has really only confirmed that in my mind, that SB Kento is probably going to be a, a three, four, maybe five-time Dreamgate champion one day. I still wholeheartedly believe that. But you had SB, you you had uh, uh, Takedo Kame, then Funky Jackie Kame, now Jackie Funky Kame, and this is your victory lap, my friend. And it's something that with Kamei, he just went to a completely different level. Like, he's had some incredible matches this year. Like, if we're going to talk about 2022 most improved, and we probably are at a point right now where it's start to get our shortlist together case, Jackie Funky Kamei with this match, I think, cements his position as Dragon Gate's most improved wrestler. And he is, it's something where it is not just. The time he has spent for the last 18 months teaming with people like KZ, teaming with people like Ginky Horiguchi, teaming with people now like Jason Lee, it's something where like you could tell that in the moment, and I think you brought up the phrase like in a vacuum, this is going to be like one of the Dragon Gate matches that exists in the vacuum because it's very much a situational thing that you had this team of Shun Skywalker and Diamante that just looked like that they were going to be the next ones on Dragon Gate's Twin Gate uh, 
Mount Rushmore. Like, like we could have already started chiseling and the uh, the symbiote costumes from Saturday if we really wanted to. Then you had Jackie Funky Kame, someone who undersized, someone that really up until the last few months has not been much of a flyer. Just like just like the body control and everything that all four guys did it that let this this guy who I mean this will be this guy's mountaintop uh, under any like realistic like projection like semi main eventing a Kobe world having a five star match like there's only four other people I have having a five star match in this building in this company and now he adds himself to that list and you like look at the road that's ahead of him and you look at like the path and it just reminds you of like the the people that came before him like your Akira Tozawa's who were able to kind of summon in with like a certain level of crowd connection and I think that's what JFK has coming out of this I think we we witness in a vacuum a guy being a made man in one mat it's probably and it's funny that we've spent so long comparing Kamei to being the future Genki Horiguchi this is Kamei did in one match what Horiguchi did in one night with El Numero Uno 2003. It almost feels like that level of growth in terms of star power in one night. Do you think that's a fair comparison? That's exactly the, 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 the thing I was going to bring up. <laughs> I, yeah, no, you're dead on about that case. It, it's I'm so I'm so happy for these guys because I came on this podcast and I said, my expectations for this match are messed up and they're not fair. I said if this match was a four and a half star match, it would be disappointing. And I meant that because I knew these guys had this match in them. I'm not surprised in any way, shape or form that this match is as good as it was. I'm amazed that they had it. I'm delighted that it lived up to my five star expectations but they did just that. It, it's one of these matches where, you know, you talk about Shun and Diamante, who we, we should throw our roses at, because when they are together, they are probably the closest thing Drangate has had to the Road Warriors. And then you throw them against this scrappy underdog team and Jason Lee and Jackie Funky Kamei. You've always said your piece on Kamei. I've always agreed with you there. Jason Lee, I have been proud to wave that flag. I've said since last year, there's not a better junior heavyweight in Japan, and this is why. Because you look at what Jason did in this match. Normally, he's the guy fighting from underneath. He was able to be the leader in his tag team here, and he looked like a veteran. He looked like a world beater against Shun. You know, I, I'm still waiting on another uh, Jason versus Shun singles match, and I hope we get it at some point. But this was just all of these parts coming together, all of these things that I've loved about Dragon Gate over the last 18 months, let's say, really ever since Masquerade formed, we, we really saw the potential of what Jason can be and what Shun can be. And then Shun took a level up and then Diamante took a level up and then Jackie's been such a great addition to Vibes and now to the Kung Fu Masters. Everything that I find to be interesting about Dragon Gate came to a head in this match and it was perfect. And, and I said in my review over at VoicesWrestling.com and I wrote a lot about this match. Here's, here's what was happening was I was watching this show live it was very, I guess, late at night slash early in the morning. And there was a period of this Kobe, uh, this Ultimo show that just, it's not that it was bad, but everything was long and it was taking forever to get to the next thing. 
and I was losing energy and I was losing interest in the show. And I said, you know what? I'm going to watch the Twin Gate match and then I'm going to go to bed. I'll wake up and watch the Dream Gate match, right room review, and then go do what I have to go do. And the Twin Gate match was so good that I immediately started writing my review as soon as the bell rang because I knew I had to get these thoughts on the page. So I don't think I necessarily, uh, just to be self-critical, I don't think I killed the Ultimo Anniversary Show review. I think there's a lot of things that I could have done better. I'm very happy with my writing on the Twin Gate match specifically because it was written with such a feverish passion for what these guys did. And I said in there, you know, I think it's very fitting that this match was brought to a head with Kamei using the Torbellino, which was the move that Masao Yoshino gifted him because there was so much innovation in this match. There were so many things done that I had never seen done before that I, I don't think can be duplicated. I think they have to have this combination of guys in the ring to do what they did. They really, I think, took tag team wrestling a step forward in this match, and they did it in the Masao Yoshino way. I told the story last year before Yoshino retired. He teamed, Masato Yoshino teamed with Mike Seidel on, a, on an opening tag match on a house show in front of a few hundred fans. And Mike Seidel was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And he made a mistake in this match. And it was okay because they're professionals and they got through it and nobody noticed. And Masato Yoshino confronted Mike Seidel backstage after that match. And he said, you fucked up. And I know you fucked up. Watch me wrestle. I don't fuck up. And it is amazing that Kamei took Masao Yoshino's moves and he took that ideology and they wrestled this match perfectly. There is not a thing I would change. There is not a blemish in sight. This was a perfect tag team wrestling match. It's five stars. It's my match of the year. If something beats this match for my number one spot, we are talking about a transcendent all-time professional wrestling match because I think this was one as well. And it's something that I you wrote about 2006 and about 331 2006. One of those dates that we just rattle off case off the top of our head in a very very sick manner. I, I'd like to to say uh, some psychologists would have a field day with us being well, able to. I've always, I've always said that's the coolest thing you can have as a wrestling match is to to be able to say your date and people know what's up. You know. Yeah. 6394-6995-33106 for us 12116 those are dates that we know and i just i think that's really cool yeah and it's something that with this kind of match i really do think that like hey you brought like the it took these four guys here because diamante being able to tag with someone like shun skywalker who I wouldn't say is like a mirror image of him, but you know, body size and strength and like this, they're very comparable. And what we got to see out of Diamante and Shun in this match, like the doomsday drop kick was one of the most disgusting things possible. The, the whole uh, top rope Cielo finale that Jason and I, if you want to say like a four person effort, a lot of my enjoyment was added by Jay and Ginky Horiguchi in this match. Like Jay pointing out right immediately as Jason hitting the, the mat, he rolls the ropes, they cut to it, and Amiga's like, that is a brilliant move there, because he's out of it, he rolled to the ropes, he's out of bounds here, and it's just like little things like that that happened in this match that only like these four people, or I guess these six people, or I guess this company can put together and do. It's something that I made time to watch through, like stuff I wanted to rewatch again, and I made sure to pull this match up first, and it's something where I'm going to hope that this is a match that gets floated around. It's kind of hard nowadays, 
but this is a match that deserves a wide circuit. I was really disappointed that I didn't see any extra buzz about this match over the weekend. You know, the the people that I know are going to watch this show and that are going to talk about Gay watch this match. But I, I say, and I say this as, uh, this will sound gross, but I don't know how else to phrase it, but as a businessman who runs a Drangate podcast, I always say, I just want people that get their wrestling news from Reddit to care about Drangate. I just... I want it to to be in those people's lives. And this is the type of match that I, I went on to Squared Circle and I expected to see gif after gif of this match and people going, what is this? Where can I watch it? And I saw nothing. And I was so disappointed because I, I just think this is one of those matches that, you know, the talking point in Drangate for a long time was, oh, you need context or, oh, well, you, you need to understand this story. And then from there, we can, you know, you can enjoy this match. And this is one where you can just turn it on and you're going to understand it immediately. I, I think the Kung Fu Masters are, are a very simple gimmick that anybody can understand. Again, you see Shunin Diamante in the context of this company and they look like the Road Warriors. And in a way, they wrestle like Drangate's version of the Road Warriors. I mean, to do a double press slam off the middle rope onto Jason Lee is just one of the gnarliest things that I've ever seen. There was so much of that stuff in this match. I I just, I need more people to watch it. You know, I I think it's this, the simple stuff that we take for granted. You know, they Shun Skywalker hit Jason Lee with a monkey flip in this match, and Jason went into Jackie Funky Kamei. But it looked like Jason was whipped with the velocity of a Nolan Ryan fastball. Like this man went flying through the air at a high rate of speed before crashing into his partner. That's the sort of stuff that I think you and I are used to. We've seen that spot before. But somebody who's never seen these guys wrestle, who sees this crazy masked guy flipping this, you know, this man from Hong Kong in the air at a violent rate of speed. That's the sort of stuff that's going to blow their mind. This is a match that can make fans for life. And I just don't think the circulation has been there. And it's just a bummer because in in the same way that, you know, I'm really careful about not gatekeeping bands because if I like something, I want more people to like it. This is one of those deals where, you know, it's the exact opposite of gatekeeping. I want as many people to see this match as possible because I, I think a lot of wrestling is bad right now. I think the Japanese scene is very weak. I, I don't get the impression that, in the same way in 2014, 2015, 2016, there were all of these new Japanese wrestling fans being made in America and Europe. I don't think that's the case right now. And I think this is the type of match that could really open people's eyes to what Drangate is capable of. And for as much as we talk about the shifting house style in Drangate and how it's not Shima and Doi and Yoshino and Tozawa's company anymore, this is a Drangate match. I mean, this is... This is what Triple H thinks when he thinks of his favorite promotion, Dragon's Gate. This is the type of match that he thinks of. I am right now, Case, just because I was just interested to see because it was something that, I mean, we don't have to talk shop too much. It was not just the fact that, like, discourse was down. One of, like, the things that, that just because I think, like, walls of text, after a while your eyes glaze over, you, you want to throw in some gifts. You want to throw in some graphics there. Nothing this weekend. No, no nothing. absolutely nothing. And it, I, th- I, that's that's Kobe World, too. I mean, it's, you know. Yeah. You know, when I when I post my reviews, I, I, I've i got the process down pretty well. I kind of I kind of know what I'm doing in that ballpark. And I know when I'm reviewing a Quark and show who's going to have gifts more often than not, who's going to do it live and who might have them after the fact. 
but it's it's Kobe world. There's always extra eyeballs on these shows, and there weren't this weekend. And and it's a bummer. I mean, there are so many spots in this match, you know, from from Shuna Diamante just throwing Jason Lee up into the lights, you know, the the finishing sequence. The, the one of the spots that blew me away was Jason Lee puts Diamante in a Kimura, and then Diamante deadlifts him up to the middle rope, and that's where they do that double press slam that I was referring to. Like, there's just there's so much in this match that if people just saw a glimpse of it, I think it would blow their minds. And I, I'm only saying that just because I want people to watch good wrestling at the end of the day. Yeah, and it's something that you talk about bear entry and gatekeeping. This might be the most simple Dragon Gate match ever because the core concept, big, bad champions versus valiant but small baby faces. That's all. Like, that's what the whole story was told. Like, the first 10 minutes of the match was basically Shonen Diamante not even bothering wrestling half a match. They were like, oh, we're going to go straight for the finish because we don't believe that these guys are to our level. Like, basic wrestling 101 right there. No barrier entry whatsoever. I just summarized what all you need to know in 10 seconds. Shoot Skywalker is the best wrestler in the world. I, I was running with that take, and then about a month ago, I caught up on a bunch of Will Ospreay matches, and I said, damn it, it's kind of a 1A, 1B Shun Ospreay situation. And then I watched Shun Skywalker wrestle this weekend, and I said, fuck that, Shun Skywalker is the best wrestler in the world. I, I really think that, and I'm really disappointed, and it's a small sample size. It's not like I'm ringing up every indie promoter's uh, you know phone right now, but from the little bit of insight that I've gained from U.S. indie promoters, you know, there was that batch of names that we reported a few weeks ago of Estrella and SB Kento and Shun that they were going to be available for dates. And, you know, some people reached out and were like, you know, what's what's the deal with these guys? You know, are they any good? This and that. And then Yamato became available and people went, oh, my God, Yamato, we've got to book him. And it's it's what we talked about with Jay uh, in April when we talked about the Kness uh, retirement show and they did a Q&A with him was, you know, the info that he got from Ho-Ho Loon when Ho-Ho went over in December to the States was – you know, people, when they think Dragon Gate, they still think Shima, Yoshino, Doi, etc. And to a late, you know, if you hung on later, maybe Yamato and Dancing BB Hulk, you know, those are the names you associate with it. And with all due respect to Yamato, and I, I've seen it with, you know, one specific US indie that I was in contact with, you know, I really was like, hey, Shun is the guy. Like, you could book Shun against anybody, and it's going to be great. They're like, yeah, we'll think about it. We'll think about it. Yamato became available. Like, hey, we we got to book Yamato. It's like, ah, oh, like, I, I just, I, I don't I don't know how to change these people's, people's thought process. And, and I don't know if you saw it today, but Jay was uh, uh, tweeting from his account, hypothetically, of, you know, what if there's some classic, or some commentary done for classic Dragon Gate matches. And I do think that would, would help uh, just gain english-speaking eyeballs on the product if they could go back and watch a shingo match with english commentary a tozawa match with english commentary there has to be something that changes though in terms of getting more people to care about this current crop of guys because like i said to me if i was submitting my sfm 50 ballot today 50 best wrestlers in the world it's shun skywalker number one will osprey number two and there is a big gap between those two and whoever my number three is how about uh, Stalker Chikawa's number three? Dude, I, that match that match made me so happy. Little, I, let's let's little, talk little, about that briefly. Yeah, yeah halftime. Let's call this halftime here. Uh, the Bosu 10-match uh, series revival was brought back at the Ultimo 35th anniversary show. As people may or may not know, this is where 
Konamawa slash Hollywood slash Stalker Chikawa has 10 mystery matches against big names and he gets his ass kicked. And this time, Case, it we we were there was popular belief that Satoshi Kojima, you know, I mean, biggest X ever, but they found one that's even bigger as X this year kicking off the Bosu 10 match series revival against Komai Chikawa, Kiji Muto, who had a five star match. This was a two five star matches on one showcase. No notes to given on this. He wins three minutes and two seconds of a shot. Mike, it is exhausting being as right as I am. You know, I, I've been right about this Triangle Gate stuff uh, since March. And although the powers that be were trying to persuade me that it was going to be Satoshi Kojima, I said, no, 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 no. Keiji Muto is going to be at the show. Keiji Muto is going to wrestle Stalker Ishikawa. And seeing Muto get faked out on a Shining Wizard only for Konamami Chikawa to dive into his asshole is the greatest thing I've ever seen. It brought me so much joy. Uh, Sakuraba said it right. Actually, pro wrestling is the strongest. <laughs> this and, was and, this was so much fun. And, and soccer started doing picture perfect Muto moves the next night. It was fantastic. Like, oh, like, it's just it was. That, that's I'm glad you brought that up. Was the 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 long term storytelling of Ichikawa? You know, essentially doing Kiyomiya's gimmick and becoming Muto. <laughs> This, by the way, and again, think about this. I know there's going to be some Noah supporters listening to this podcast. They gave Konamami Chikawa the same gimmick that they gave Kaito Kiyomiya and Noah. Remember that when next time you say he's your ace. Ichikawa did it so much better. It was so much more entertaining. I mean, he's the number 69th wrestler in the, of all time for a reason, Case. And more people just need to come along, come come around to that. Uh, since, since you brought up Noah and Triangle Gate, l- 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 let's get into the Triangle Gate. So... Walking into the weekend was Paris de Mal de Japon. They first had M3K on the 30th, and the winners would face a high-end team of Yamato, Dragon Kid, and Binke, and a Natural Vibes team of KZ, uh, Big Boss Shimizu, and Strong Machine J. And it was M3K, as we were expecting, defeating Paris de Mal de Japon via countout on night one. And then they came back, and they managed to win night two getting they did not get both falls ben got the first fall on natural vibes and then it, the deciding the fall was the world liner making its once a year appearance in kobe world against dragon kid so m3k walk out of kobe world weekend as the open the triangle gate champions and we'll get into what's nosal is up to now uh later on say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill The Open the Triangle Gate Championship has changed hands nine times this year. And in March, Champion Gate in Osaka, it's funny to look back on this now, but Minora, Ishida, and Doi won those belts. 
And when they won them, the titles had already bounced around three or four times. And I thought, okay, all right. They they told the story of the Triangle Gate belts bouncing around so that Gold Class can have a really long, sustained run and bring stability to these titles. And then Gold Class lost in their first defense. And every unit that has had these titles this year, with the exception of Perostel Malde upon, who defended the belts twice, once in June on a Dragon Gate show, on a small Dragon Gate show, and then once in July, right before this show for Pro Wrestling Noah. Those are the only two successful defenses this year. Every other team has lost their titles during their first defense this year. And as soon as I saw Gold Class lose, I said, okay, well, they're clear- clearly doing something at Kobe World this year. Whoever comes out of that show with those titles is going to have a long, sustained run. And then God bestowed a gift upon us of Mochizuki Jr. debuting in June. And I said, holy shit, they're going to give Mochizuki Jr. the Triangle Gate belts at Kobe World. And that is exactly what they've done. I said this in the Voices of Wrestling Discord. I believe that in the case of these Triangle Gate belts, I, I believe the idea that Nozawa has influence while also believing that Nozawa is not booking the company. And I know that because it didn't take a genius to figure out what they're doing with these titles, which was instability until Mochizuki Jr., Masaki Mochizuki, and Susumu Mochizuki provided the stability that these belts needed. They might defend them in Noah. I don't expect them to be back in Noah. They are going to hold these belts for, I'll say, at least two months, and that will bring stability back to these belts. This isn't a case of uh, uh, given the way this weekend went, this is not the case of Nozawa not wanting to do a job. It's not office miscommunication. It's not office politics. They told a story that if you know anything about Dragon Gate, they told a story that was clear as day. These belts bounced around and around and around. And now there is this rookie with an overprotective sports father who won the titles in the same way that his father used to win matches for one of the most iconic units in this company's history. It was a beautiful story to be told. The execution was great. And I am so worried that later this week, a bunch of people that don't know what, they ta- what they're talking about are going to muddy the waters of what should be celebrated as a phenomenal weekend of storytelling with M3K, Mochizuki Jr. And then on night two, and this is where I got the story wrong, I said last week I would keep Mochizuki Jr. and Strong Machine J away at all costs. Instead, they spent the entire match working with one another, and it was great. It was awesome. M3K should be celebrated. This was a giant win for the company this weekend. And Mochizuki Jr., like not to the level Kame, and I wrote about this. Mochizuki Jr. showed up. This was the easiest, like the level of difficulty of being in a match in Dragon Gate is probably at the lowest if you're in a three-way or four-way because you could hide them very easily. They they had been K for like 18 months in these kind of matches, like, and he would do like two minutes worth of things and that was it. They, Mochizuki Jr. didn't hide. Mochizuki Jr. across these two nights completely showed up, and it's something where he is still very much a work in progress. We're not seeing someone who has like the progression level of Takuma Fujiwara. Like there still are some warts and all to Mochizuki Jr., but he's also still two months since debuting, and they felt confident enough the second night he semi-main event in Kobe World, and it looked excellent. And I. Uh, 
just like the stuff of Paros, like that happened exactly as you kind of expected and how you've been laying out for months. So I don't really like after that match happened, I was like, okay, that was satisfying. That was what should happen. Mochizuki Jr. looks strong here. Like I walk, I walked into the Triangle Gate weekend, really case going, how strong is Mochizuki Jr. going to look coming out of this weekend? Is he going to expose himself? Is this going to be something where huge lights, biggest lights in the company for this weekend? And this 20-year-old knocked it out of the park. You know, I mean, he proved that he was Masaki Mochizuki's son. Yeah, I, I thought this was great all the way around. You know, the, the one knock is that I don't think the M3K versus Peros match was great. It was probably the weakest thing that Peros has done in ring for Dragon Gate. You know, they had that Natural Vibes match that was June 26. It's still up on the network. Peros versus Natural Vibes, which I thought was a four and a quarter star match. I gave Paris versus M3K three stars, but it, it did its job. Mochizuki Jr. was involved in the finish uh, and looked great doing it. And then the next night when I thought they would hide him, like I said, they thrust him into the spotlight and he showed up. You know, I, I, I felt very confident in the result of this match once I saw that this was the direction they were going. I wasn't sure how I'd feel coming out of this weekend, but the good news is that I feel extremely confident about the future of M3K. If he can do this on this stage against these opponents, he is going to be fine going forward. And I'm very excited to see how he progresses. You know, he's got uh, uh, the Corkin show next week. He's going to have his first ever singles match against Ishinihashi, which is a very bold test. You know, if you remember at the end of 2019, when Strong Machine J was first starting to do things away from Strong Machines, they booked him and Ben K in a 20-minute time limit draw singles match at Corkin, and it died a death. It was a really bad match, and I think it set both guys back. Mochizuki Jr. and Ishinihashi are two guys that are going to have nowhere to hide. There's no protection there. They have to go full force, and they have to show the entire roster and the crowd that they are worthy of the presentations they've been given for being such young wrestlers. And I have full faith after watching Mochizuki Jr., uh, especially against Strong Machine J., that they are going to be able to do it. And it's something that, you know, Ishin needs this match just as much as Mochizuki Jr. does at this point. He's coming up on that year anniversary, and where is he at? So, I mean, that it's going to be fascinating. Like, that's, that's a match when they announce it. Like, we're going to be able to tell a lot of things real quickly with that match, you know? Like, yeah. that... that that there's no hiding there. Uh, well, well, it, well, let's talk about that real quick. Uh, when King of Gate rolled around and it was Fujiwara versus Ishin, I think we were all convinced that Fujiwara was going to pick up his first win and be off to the races in King of Gate. Instead, they went to a time limit draw. Obviously, here you have Mochizuki Jr., who any match that he's won has either been by countout or via fatherhood. And you have Ishinihashi, who debuted September 24th of last year and has still not picked up a victory. Do we see a double ring out here? Is this a double countout situation? Is there going to be a clean finish? What do you think happens here between Mochizuki Jr. and Ishinihashi? It's going to sound like I've spent this entire show begging people to go heal, but Ishin <laughs> might need to go heal. <laughs> like, I mean, he should like step up and be like, hey, I was here first. What is this punk doing here? Like literal punk doing here my dad is about to retire my my mom was a wrestler too i'm not gonna do this give me back my purse i think you should, should show a little <laughs> bit of edge in this match case I, I think you are exactly right i think mochizuki jr is gonna have a very long night whether the match is good or not i don't i do not know but i think ishinihashi is going to beat the shit out of him and i'm very excited for it 
yeah, it's going to be really, really fun to see. But uh, I was pretty happy coming out of the the weekend with the Triangle Gate Division. I the, there was the thought that with the Chapter Three dance, the new entrance, and all that with Natural Vibes when they came out that way, I did have like a moment. I was like, oh, I could see them, like, like the big performance here, like really crowning. Like this is the new generation natural vibes of kz and the two newer members there i could have saw that happen i had that moment of doubt yeah you know the the one complaint that i have about the triangle gate matches this weekend is the finish to the nine-man match uh on kobe world proper was uh susumi uh susumi mochizuki world liner on dragon kid and under any other circumstance that would be awesome but I really wanted Mochizuki Jr. in the finish to that match. That just seemed like it would have been appropriate with everything else going on this weekend. You went four stars in your review. I went three and three quarters only because I didn't like that finish. And I I, I wanted something Mochizuki Jr. centered, and I wanted something a little hotter for that match. That's really the only knock I have this weekend. I, I, I think that's a pretty fair statement. It, it was something that... He had that sick Fisherman Buster version of the Twister, and I was like, all right, well, he already had the Brazilian kick, so that was a different kick from his dad, and now he has a version of Twister. That looked brutal. That would have been something to be like, oh, wow, they've been hiding this on us, too, about Mochizuki Jr., that apparently he spikes people. Like, I thought that would have been, like, the really sick finish. I totally get that. Uh, I realized I didn't give my star ratings on the Night 1 stuff that we've talked about so far, so... I'll just go quick with this real quick case. Uh, Dreamgate on the first night, uh, I was four and a quarter, uh, twin five. Uh, and then the uh, Triangle Gate, I was uh, the Aperos versus M3K, I, I was three and a quarter. I went four stars flat on Minora versus Yoshioka, which I feel like I should point out. And then, like I said, three and three quarters on the Triangle Gate match on night two. The other spot I want to point out there. There was that amazing strike exchange between Mochizuki Jr. and Big Boss Shimizu where they're going back and forth, they're going back and forth. Mochizuki Jr. gets the edge. Shimizu hits uh, the TNA kick, the Savat kick, the rolling middle kick to the gut of Mochizuki Jr. And then when he comes back, Mochizuki Jr. wipes him out with a wheel kick. And that looked so good. That was one of those moments where I sat back and went, oh, man. He really is Masaki Mochizuki's kid because he's really, really good for being two months into his career. Hey, that's something that he is ahead of his dad at. How so? I mean, Buku Dojo Mochi. Oh, God. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. No, the, the two-month progression of where Mochizuki Jr. is compared to, you know, uh, Moshi, who would have debuted in 94 you compare him to even 96, 97 Masaki Mochizuki, it's, it's a different ball game. Yeah, it's, it's just something that, I mean, it's going to be tough being the son of one of the best wrestlers of all time. So I wanted to give uh, a junior a little bit of a pat on the back and something that he could, like, you know, put the feather in his cap. Say, like, hey, I'm better than where my dad was. Yoshioka set them up for long-term success this weekend. Shun, Diamante, Jason, and Jackie showed why they're the most interesting things now. And I think Mochizuki Jr. as the future had a very good weekend as well. Absolutely. And that leaves us with the last title to talk about, about Kobe World Weekend. It was Dragon Daya entering the weekend as the Open the Brave Gate champion. He had a match set up against Hyo on night one, but there was a Dragon Scramble to decide who would face the winner of that on night two. 
It was SBK winning the pre-show battle royal on the 30th, and it was Hyo winning the Dreamgate against against uh, Dragon Daya, unseating Daya, who's been basically unbeatable. It was with the Black Panther clutch, and he won it with it again the next night against his Bamashiri bro uh, partner. And we have some other stuff that officially was announced after that, as we reported about this three weeks ago, I, I want to say about SB. I believe so, yes. Yeah, three weeks ago, uh, SB Kento, after the match between him and Hyo, has officially announced that he's going on an excursion. He's taking Bamashiri worldwide and all. I really liked Hyo versus Dragon Daya. I wrote about that at VoicesOfWrestling.com. I really liked Hyo versus SB Kento. I also gave that three and three quarters. I hate, with a capital H, that this is how they're writing off SB Kento. No angle, no blow up, just a loss, and he's gone. I think that is a mistake. They have been weird about him the entire year. They've been doing this quiet losing story with him. It's like even Jay on commentary, is he's almost whispering like, hey, you know, SB Kento's lost a lot of matches lately. And I fully expected there to be some giant angle in August, uh, particularly at that Cork and Hall show that writes him off and sends him to America. The fact that he's just dipping with no real story attached to it drives me insane. At the same time, that's a very Dragon Gate thing to do, though. <laughs> like, you're absolutely right. Like, this is something that, you know, we, we talked about, like, Shun, like, taking all those losses, and that was his big send-off there. But on the other side of the same coin, uh, Yuki Oshioka just leaving in the middle of the night saying, I'm mad about Dragon Daya. I lost but, a Gamma. I'm but, gone. But... Yoshioka was scheduled to have a match with Daya at the March twenty Cork, uh, March twenty twenty Cork and Hall show that got that got canceled. That was the first COVID show that we lost. Right. There would have been something with Yoshioka that would have led to him leaving for Mexico, and then they realized, oh, we're screwed. We got to send this guy right now. So they were at least planning something with Yoshioka with SB Kento. Unless it, it would be very odd if he shows up at that Cork and Hall show. I don't expect him to now, just to have him him specifically fade away because there's no way by the time he comes back and the dates that we got for him was that he was going to be in America and Mexico for the rest of 2022 and come back at some point early 2023. There's no way that the heel unit looks the way it does now. Uh, and I just think not having a built-in program for him upon return, whether that is against Yo or whether that is against Kai or whether that is against Shun Skywalker, whoever it may be, I just think it's a major mistake to have him fade to black the way that he is. Yeah, it, it, it's weird because you would like to have like the immediate like comeback storyline. Like, I mean, that was like the nice thing about the uh, Dias was like you you immediately had something that plugged in Yuki Yoshioka. Uh, Akira Tozawa, of course, was immediately thrust into getting back at his generation for putting him down. It, 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 it's it, going well, to that's, be- it, it mirrors the Tozawa excursion where you know they went to canada and shima was like hey so get comfy uh you're not gonna come to japan for a while uh it, it's very similar to that kind but I think, of but i think sb sb kento's in such a better position than akira tozawa was in 2010 it kind of is because you're absolutely right like i mean tozawa didn't even wasn't even a champion of any fashion before he left on excursion they did have a storyline match that wrote off Tozawa though it was him versus Cyber Kong loser leaves uh Kamikaze and is banished to the dark matches and then he is left yeah but they don't even 
they, they don't they, even have that. The, so there, prove your there point. Was no, there was no satisfying conclusion to this SB Kento is losing a lot story. And I just, I, I, I really think that's going to be a mistake. Now, the good news is if you look at SB Kento and Takuma Fujiwara specifically, look at the two guys that have gone on an excursion before them, Shun Skywalker and Yuki Yoshioka. Okay. Uh, current Dreamgate champion, former Dreamgate champion. I would expect the same in their future pretty quickly upon return. I just, I think it's a mistake to not make a bigger deal out of SB Kento going away. No, and, and that's something that I think is completely justified, thinking of, of that. And it's something that, I mean, I, I wonder if, because there was a promoter that announced an SB Kento match before, in the States before SB Kento announced. I wonder if, if that since that news got out, we were not first on that. Just it was not us who let that out of the bag, just to be clear. But as soon as that got out, I felt like they just kind of like, well, we have to write them off now. Like we were, we're going to have something, but now there's stuff going on there. But then you also wonder on this, like arguing against my point, why would they change their booking about a random excursion date in the U.S. that none of their fans will ever hear about? Well, th- th- that was going to be my point was there, it's not exactly the synergy between like New Japan USA and New Japan where at least some portion of the audience might care about that sort of stuff. This was a New York indie that I don't think you you or I could name off I the s- top of our heads. I, um, I, I, I know that has like TU in it, like DTU. That's as far as I know. See, I didn't even think it was that. I'm going to look that up real fast. But the, the point is like, you know, why – why would they care about it? I mean, I follow a La Estrella stan on Twitter, and I know they were tweeting about it, but anybody else, you know, it's not its not like I've seen a ton of Japanese tweets roll across my timeline of, oh my God, they booked SB Kento versus La Estrella in America. That's just, it's not been what I've seen. So I don't think that would uh, change any sort of Dragon Gate booking. I think that would be very unlike Dragon Gate and very short-sighted of them to do that. No, no, no. I think you're justified in that rationale. So, talking about the other people involved in the uh, Triangle, or not Triangle Gate, the Brave Gate scene, we have Hyo now as Brave Gate champion. Came in, best shape of his life, you know, entering fall camp, best shape of his life. And interesting kind of matches he had. I think that he looked really strong. I went four on the Dia match. I thought that they really played off of it. I. The SBK match I thought was really awkward because the crowd wasn't into it whatsoever. But I think Kyo is a real fascinating champion. And as I said, now we're going to open the Leopard Gate. And now we need to see uh, Hulk can be a commissioner for this. We're going to rerun Open the Gamma Gate, right? So I think I liked the SB Kento match more than just about anybody else because I personally liked the dynamics at play of... We got a, a mix of leopard print, like vintage Hyo with current big brain Hyo, and he was kind of going back and forth between like snappy young babyface and veteran psychology master heel in the same match, which I just thought was, I thought the structure of the match was very interesting. So I personally was into it, but I seemed to be in the minority there. As for the run itself, yeah, it's going to be fascinating. No, he, Hyo tweeted today that outside of i think he said dragon kid and kagatora he doesn't really see anybody on the roster being worthy of a challenge you know there's nobody on his level right now and i think this is going to be one of those wide open title runs where i have no clue who's going to challenge him who he's going to wrestle and i'm really excited because i think his in ring is the best it's ever been i think the character work is as strong as it's ever been he had a really good weekend here and i don't see any reason why he can't continue that into quarter three of this year I mean, if they're open for business for the Brave Gate, 
we could have some real fun on cage match case like habu i i, I think <laughs> you, you know uh that there's i know there's another company opening up in osaka right now you know but i think edion defense against habu why not you know Given that Gamma has uh, once again tied his his uh, horse to Osaka Pro and Kaisuke Okuda is working a date with Osaka Pro, I think that is off limits. But that doesn't mean we can't get Hyo versus Guruk and Mask. It also, in, in a, a much more realistic way, I think Hyo versus Jason Lee is a match that needs to be explored. Yeah, no, that's that that could be a lot of fun. I mean, even if it's going into big brain shtick i think that jason is one of the like the he he is like one of the best reacting baby faces working today like, like if i'm a heel wrestler and i know that i have a lot of shtick in my heel act if i know that jason lee's on the opposite side is like all right he's gonna he, he's not gonna make me look like shit out there so yeah no i think that's awesome yeah no J- jason jason lee very good pro wrestler very good at what he does very very good uh dia coming out of this we kind of touched on how he's kind of in this awkward place in terms of decourage but now Dreamgate, uh, he was, if uh, D. Courage was the main character, he was really the main character of the first half of the year. It's going to be interesting to see what happens next with Daya. Like, his entire, like, in a lot of ways, his projection completely changed on January 12th, and I don't know where you go to. Well, I, I think the good news is that you don't really have to go anywhere. I think I think Dai is going to take a lot of losses for the rest of the year, and I don't think that's a reflection on him. I just think, like we talked about earlier, it's a reflection on him teaming with the Open the Dreamgate champion. And it's kind of why I get a little bit nervous about D-Courage is Dai is going to be taking a lot of falls. Now, I don't think that's going to hurt him in the long run, but that's where he's going to be. I, I don't see him, unless they do something cool and they do a D-Courage Twingate challenge at some point, which I, I don't think is realistic given who are the current Twingate champions, but... You know, unless they do a decourage twin gate challenge, he's going to be losing a lot. The good news is he had such an excellent Brave Gate run. the The ninety second match uh, that he won to win the title from SB Kento was super memorable. The Takuma Fujiwara match will probably land at my number ten in my match of the year top ten this year as my vanity pick. Had the great SB Kento match at Dead or Alive, and then the long term story that paid off at at World here with Hyo. He did his job. This is another one of those guys who has set himself up for success in the future. He he exits this title reign better in a better position than when he entered it. I'm very happy with this run. I think he's shown his charisma, his potential, his in-ring ability. There's a lot to like with, uh, with Dragon Dyer right now, even if they don't follow up on it immediately. And I think it's kind of like, as you were saying this, it kind of struck me in my head that it's not long-term that I think is the question for Drag Gate. It's it's the immediate short term, really, because I'm like, Dai's gonna be fine long term. Uh, like, like seeing all these guys really step up. Like, there's one storyline coming out of this weekend. It was the uh, you the the youth movement that we saw really start in 2018, but really take force in 2019. It is now overwhelmingly here with even people that weren't even a part of 2019 now in prominent positions. And it's just gonna be like the next six to 12 months i'm kind of looking at with a little bit of unease it's a very interesting position to be in i i don't know uh, of another i'm sure it's happened i just can't think of one of another era of a wrestling company where we go okay three years from now we're fine it's getting through the next three months that's going to be a challenge it's a very unique issue to have 
Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I think things will be a lot simpler when Takuma Fujiwara comes back into the fold and then you get, you know, SB Kinto returning from stateside when he comes back. Uh, and, and hopefully at that point, you know, Ishinihashi or Ryo Fuda or one of the, the, you know, other Drangate future guys, you know, three years from now, they've made a name for themselves, but they're, they're in an odd spot. And I think losing SB Kento from their, their homeland shows is going to hurt. Like we reported, you know, a, Promoters are taking dates on Shun Skywalker. Uh, as of now, that appears to be the case. I don't know if that could change with the roster, or, you know, ever so thinning. But we're going to be in for a very interesting five months here. I think January of 2023 is going to look a lot different than August of 2022. Yeah, and you brought Bria Fuda, uh, made his return from a broken sternum. And I have to say, I was kind of impressed with him over this weekend. It, it was a nice little return here. He, he had a, something a little bit different to his arsenal that, you know, frankly, he was going to be in an awkward position given everything. And I thought that he looked pretty good coming back here. I like his new gear, too. I'm glad you feel that way because I do, too. You know, as we look through the the rookie roundup and, and what happened this year, Shoya Sato stopped wrestling full time on February 4th, his last match, then being later on May 24th. Ricky Hashi, his last match was March 3rd. And then Fuda got hurt on April 8th. So it was one after another after another with this class of rookies. And we obviously lost Sato. We, we lost Ricky. Fuda was out for three full months and then came back. And, and I thought both in the Battle Royal on the first night and then on the, the multi-man on the second night made his presence felt. And that was the important thing was he couldn't do a Madoka Kakuta come back from injury and immediately fall into the background. And I think Fuda for for... The opportunities he was given, he made the most of them this weekend. I was very happy with what he did. Yeah, and like he did like the little thing like like his like jumping off the rope because I can't even really call it a springboard, but like using the ropes as leverages for for his strikes. Like that was the thing that really changed. I thought I was like, okay, that's something that I like to see that he's going to be a different kind of striker because you you know it might be a little bit different now. Uh, you know, in eight days if Akuda's off that roster, but. A lot of the strikers, like three months ago, it was a little bit of a precarious position for Fuda, but I think he now it, it's something I would like to see him do more. I think there might be a lane for him, is basically why. Yeah, you lose a Kuda and you lose a Shida, and all of a sudden Ryu Fuda has way more value on your roster. So he is uh, possibly a real big right place, right time kind of guy. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I'm right now looking at the other stuff. We, we haven't talked about Ultimo yet we're, we're approaching uh, we're approaching an hour and a half we're past an hour and a half we've not talked about the man who had a entire show devoted to him and his friend el hio del santo and other friends happening this weekend ah man so they announced first it was going to be el hio del santo versus ultimo uh very quickly in this match let me see if i can get the exact time on it that was interfaced by Paris Del Mall. Then they jumped in. It was Ata and Nasawa. They lost like in two minutes to a double Lucha uh, fall there. And then they beat down him further. Super Crazy came out. Super Crazy, which I knew that Super Crazy was a Noah. I knew that, like, I knew kind of like, like this, but it kind of takes you back, like Super Crazy now. Like, it just takes you back a little bit. But Super Crazy came out and he was fought off by a surprise appearance by the great Sasuke with a giant wooden coat hanger setting up a trios match with the legends versus Peros no mall for the second night. And the, uh, the veterans won the legends won. And in the aftermatch, uh, both Santo and Nosal Rangai 
uh, were posturing for a Puestas match. So it was the most Lucha thing possible. You know, I'm going to have a take here that uh, I don't think a lot of people are going to agree with. First of all, big picture, none of this stuff was good. I also don't think it was horrible. I thought it served its purpose. I thought it was totally fine. I am glad Peros got involved because the Ultimo versus Santos singles match, the seven minutes that we got of that, I thought was sad. I've talked a lot recently about, you know, they, they protect Ultimo to such an amazing degree. You know, obviously when he's in the ring with Diamante, he looks amazing. But even when he's in the ring with the young guys, you know, I, I, I never watch Ultimo and Dragon Gate and think like, oh, God, like even it's just it's amazing, you know, the company that you keep because was there a more useless wrestler for 15 years than All Japan Ultimo Dragon? Like there's zero memorable All Japan Ultimo matches. He comes to Dragon Gate and I start watching these multi-man matches like, oh, man, that's 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 Ultimo Dragon. Like, look at him look pretty good. And Santo, I just watched earlier this year, I watched him team with Ultimo in a tag match and they were so much better than their opponents. And it was like, yeah, you know, Santo he can still kind of go like if you put him in the right spot against the right guy, there's some value there, but neither of these men have value as singles wrestlers, especially against one another. And I thought their singles match fell apart and it was getting to be a real bummer. The longer it went on it, 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 it just made me sad. It, it killed the mood of the show, which up to that point had kind of been a mixed bag, but I, I was pretty down on it until Peros came out and I thought the, you know, the little three-minute segment with Ultimo and Santo versus Nozawa and Eita was a ton of fun. You know, Eita ate that somersault senton by Santo. I mean, he took that, that was full ugly. force. That might have been the ugliest move of the entire weekend. Like, like screw the, uh, the, the double Rana that Kung Fu Masters did the night before or, or, or did right after this. It was the somersault senton that went heavy. Like, like it, it's not that like that Santo is that big of a guy right now, but no. he just, he just cratered Ata. It, it cratered. was, it was this year's equivalent of the monkey flip to the floor last year. Like that's how vicious this. I thought this was uglier than this, to be honest. <laughs> you at least no laid flat. <laughs> you at least in theory would be landing flat with the monkey flip, right? Like this time, uh, what, what's happening if you're Ada? Oh, I'm having a nearly 60-year-old man laying on my stomach while another nearly 60-year-old man's knees go jabbed in deeper into my, my sides as this happens. Like oh. I, I take that monkey flip before I take the Santo somersault sent on. Santo went down so heavy. That was so gnarly to watch. That I, I loved that spot. And then the next night, and whether this is right or wrong is irrelevant. I have a bit of a soft spot for Super Crazy. I always have. And, you know, was that match good? No, it wasn't. But it also, it wasn't offensively bad. Like, it was just, you know, it was a old man lucha brawl. It, it was no different than... When Drangate has brought in, like, you know, Yoshiaki Fujiwara in the past to wrestle Mochizuki and Fuji, it was that level of match, which is not ideal. You know, I, I certainly would rather have a card full of young guys killing it than old guys hobbling around. But this wasn't, you know, to me, offensive as a Drangate fan by any means. I honestly have, you know, of the six guys that were involved on night two, I think Sasuke is the weakest. I mean, I, I have zero use for modern Sasuke don't like watching him walk around, let alone wrestle. So I, I, I you know, it, it would probably be extreme 
to call us a net positive for the weekend, but I saw some people that were really down on this, and I just didn't mind it all that much. Yeah, I'd much rather, like you brought up the fact you let Paris involved. I'd much rather it be Paros involved with this than Zebrats. Much rather, like that's any... that's a gr- that's a great point, Mike. That that is that is exactly it. This didn't bring anybody down. No, Sh- Shun and Diamante didn't spend their weekend wrestling Ultimo and Santo. Now, I will say, Santo was on the August tenth Corican show, and I think it would be cool if he did something away from Paros. But that's a Cork and Hall show. I'll live if, say, you know, Shun and Diamante are with him for a match. Uh, but on Kobe World, they didn't burn anything here. Nothing was lost. They they slotted the right guys with the right guys. Right. Yeah. So it was something that also when you slide those guys, Ata and Nasawa, like those are like two years ago, case when we joke around about about Tokyo Car- Carnival and the, the various Tokyo Gurantai shows. The one thing that we always brought up was Nosawa loves bringing in old guys they can lose to. And boy, you got the one guy who loves losing to old people right there. And yeah, and and then of course, like the post-match stuff. Listen, if if you're at this point here, you you can tell what our opinions about the general Nosawa situation is here. But if you're going to believe that there's going to be a, a El Hio del Santo uh a Puesas match with Nasawa wrong guy coming off of this promo here. And if that's being reported by other places there, then you really need to reconsider. Yeah, I just don't think that like you know, again, may, may, maybe we're spending too much time on what people say about Nozawa versus what we think, but I, I think it's worth mentioning none of this was that shocking to me. Like this is I this is how no. I would lay it out too. Again, you know, Ultimo versus Santo I think we all got excited about it on paper. And then for me, and I, I don't know how you feel about it, but I thought the singles match was a bummer. And then Peros came in and, you know, basically had an ECW brawl. And I thought it was fine. Like this, yeah. this was all fine. I I mean, I, I have my meter of, is this legend going to be fun to see or is it going to be sad? And it was right on the line, but it was still fun throughout all of this but I, yes I, I thought i thought it became fun once paros got involved i still you know i still think it's cool whenever santo pops up i'd still really sure. like to see him wrestle in person at some point but i i don't want to see him in a singles match against ultimo dragon i'd rather see him in a six man where he can do the senton into the tope and then do his camel clutch and and get paid yeah 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 i i, I hope he's able to get some masks sold sold like i mean like that's the point of of all of that and that's really what you kind of want to see with him on this kind of show and in really in this company. We'll see what happens with him next week. I think it'd be very funny if they decide to have him in the Touch Football League match. That's what I want. I want Santo, Don Fuji, and Yazushi Kanda versus Ryo Saito, Kinki Horiguchi, and Madoka Kakuda. I would truly love to know. So Santo's working the Drangate Corkin show, and then he's working a Noah show too. Um I would love to know if like his merch moves better at the Noah show than the the Drangate show. <laughs> I would that, just wouldn't that prove like everything about Nosawaism right there? Yeah, like I don't I I I think that's a really interesting experiment. I don't know if we can <laughs> if, if we can figure that out, but so August 5th at Corkin, it's Ultimo Santo, Alejandro and Kaito Kiyomiya. Against, perfect yeah no 
No yeah, notes. No notes. <laughs> then they're wrestling High 69, Hajime Ohara, Tadasuke, and Kano. Well, get Tadasuke out of there. But other than that, seven out of eight, you know, I mean, they're still getting an A. You, no, look, I, I've been defending Santo on this podcast. You can't put him in the ring with Kano, though, because Kano will break Kano him. Kano will kill him. Like, <laughs> Santo has those weird, like, for, okay, how old is El Hio Del Santo? Do you know? He is 59. 59. Okay. I so, looked it up to make a point in my review. So, yeah. for a 59-year-old wrestling shirtless, his chest looks pretty good, but Santo has the arms of, like, an 84-year-old woman. Oh, oh yeah, like it, it, it's something where, and I again did not embarrass himself. Was right on the fun line. You could see him doing aqua aerobics, and it- you, like you know what? He's got this like barrel chest, nineteen thirties boxer build. It's but so ha- cool. But he has your grandma's arms, and I just worry that Kendo's gonna like middle kick, and Santo's gonna put his arms by his side, which is what you're supposed to do, and it's gonna create catastrophic global issues. I mean, if you're, gosh, I don't want to hammer this down home anymore. If you're someone who's mad about Nosawa, you should hope for this thing because it'll become an international incident. Basically, <laughs> it will become an international. Incident. That, that'll be that English speaking buzz that Noah's been craving. <laughs> I, I mean how is that buzz gonna go in like super luchas and like everyone is just beating down osawa's door asking why they're <laughs> the, the living legend got destroyed by an angry man from tohoku <laughs> that cano shot on ohio del santo <laughs> but the thing is that's probably not gonna be shooting no no he's gonna he's gonna throw a work kick and it's gonna still be too much god that is a that is a fascinating match because so it's ultimo kiyomiya yeah. and santo but then alejandro's there and it just makes me think, like, what is Kano going to pin Alejandro? Like, is Santo coming in and, and technically doing the job with a Noah eight man? Like, that's a weird combination of baby faces. Oh, yeah. No, no, tremendous, tremendous. I might actually boot up Russell Universe for that match because I, the, 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 that is something that I have unique taste case. And that is extremely my. I've got to reach out to some people and see if they're going to this Noah show because I saw I just I want to know if Santo's over there because i i don't know i would think you know where he's not over in dragon gate but of which how long have i said that you've been right i was wrong i was like nah people santo's cool people care about santo and then jay was like people don't care about santo and i was like nah i think people do and then i watched it and people don't care about santo um but if you care if you're if it's 2022 and you care about kendo kashin and Masakatsu Funaki, and obviously they're completely different animals than Santo, but they they fit, you know. They inhabit the, the same space. Yeah, the, it's it's the guys that Nosawa likes. And so I'm just so curious to see if, like, Noah fans give a shit about him. I, I would uh, really love to know because it's interesting, like, the fact that it's just Santo, you know? Like, usually you'd expect someone else to be with him. So we need to have someone have eyes on the merch table for Santo because I want to have full charts and figures by date to know like how many masks. If you had little uh, phone charms, I want to know this because I'm fascinated to see if Santo is actually a mover in pro wrestling Noah versus absolutely. Who was he paired off with in this match? Because he has to do like traditional. It was Nosawa. No, 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 but in this Noah match, so it's a oh. high 69, it's O'Hara, it's uh, Tadasuke and Kano. I, 
But it, oh, it's O'Hara. O'Hara but, was in Mexico for like four years. Yeah, but but I would think O'Hara would would be there to work Ultimo. I mean, he could be there for. I, I mean, if you're going to have this guy around, first off, he, he's going to be doing double or triple duty. If you want to have this guy around to begin with, you know. Yeah, it's so. just it's just interesting. Just you know, oh, okay, sure. you know, everybody has you know an eight man like this. You know, everybody has the one guy that they pair off with at the start of the match. And I would, I'm curious to see who that is for Santo because I would think for O'Hara it would be Ultimo. That's a really interesting match. Just so much could go wrong. It could be such a bad match, and I, I think that. You know, not that I'm rooting for a bad match by any means, but that it kind of goes to my point about, you know, Pero saving the day here, even though it's annoying and maybe you don't like them in Drangate, but those are the those are the guys that you kind of need in a situation like that. You right. know, Eita, who's going to get a kick out of this, Nozawa, who wants to be there, and Super Crazy, who's a, a professional, that's kind of your best case scenario if you're going to do what you did, you know, because not only were they able to wrangle Ultimo at Santo and again, create something sort of fun, almost like a like an ECW style of match, but... Sasuke is the worst offender, and, and they were able to take his dive off the top rope. By the way, Sasuke kicked a young boy in the head so hard when that he did was that so over the top rope. That was, I felt so bad for that kid. Oh. He got walloped by Sasuke's foot. Oh, he got ruined by it. Yeah, like that was the one note I had for Sasuke in the match as well. He's here. He did his crazy over the turnbuckle tope and wiped out a kid. Hopefully, it's not the ones that are going to Mexico or Dave. Were you at the Janela Sasuke spring break show? Yes, I was. Yeah. Yes, I was. The yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry. That. Uh, that was a that that was a weird day for me, Case. <laughs> well, that was that was that 2018. Yep, yep, yep. Mike Stone's burning a hole in his pocket. He's got the biggest scoop in, in all of wrestling because <laughs> a drunk wrestler told him it. <laughs> and then I was there for like four hours. But yeah, no, Sasuke was there. I know it's excruciating towards the end. I got drunk and sobered up three times throughout that night. It was that. That's yeah. Well, I've shared my thoughts on Joey Janela, and uh, I'm not a big uh, modern day Sasuke guy, so I'm glad I wasn't there for that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, if he's going to be there, at least let him do karaoke like that. What about at least the, this? Because at least the first night he had that giant coat hanger. Like great comedic. Like this is a guy that he's not any good anymore, but he still has comedic timing. Oh. Yeah, I mean, if I'm going to a sponsor dinner. Sasuke's a first round pick you know he's he's one of the guys that I want there yeah I want to party with Sasuke I just I I hate watching him wrestle he's he the bloom is off the rose with Sasuke even (laughs) faster than Ultimo you're saying this as if Sasuke hasn't been a known quantity well that's what I'm that's what I'm saying is like I don't know if there's a great 21st century great Sasuke match well, I mean, people will say all the space wars, but I mean, those but are special. I don't, I don't those like those. I'm not into those the way other people are. That's fair. That's fair. No, I, 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 I totally get that. I'm like, trying to think. Uh, so, hold on. I got, I got to figure this out real fast because I know he wrestled. <laughs> so he wrestled Generico. Um, no, okay. It was him and Generico against the Young Bucks. And that match is fine, but that match was also too long. That, need, that was 20 minutes and it needed to be 10. So, yeah, I don't. If if there's a great 21st century great Sasuke match, please let me know. I'd be very curious to to check that out. Was that a Kurt Russell Union reunion? Yeah, match? it was the last one yeah. they did. It was the same weekend that all the Drangate guys were in the states. Um, oh, 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 the first appearance of our good friend Sheriff Loki. <laughs> That's right. So, so it was uh, Adam Page versus Eric Royal was the opening match on that show. CWF Mid-Atlantic Produce. 
gives you yeah the, you, you can tell high spots was promoting the show um, <laughs> let, let, let's go let's go match by match here is adam page versus eric royal and a no contest to open up the show uh match number two special referee mick foley new age outlaws defeat the steiner brothers Europe, in 2013, in, 2013. In 20, 2012 so this is uh, even uh, before what time was listed on this match by the way this was this went 12 minutes all right yeah, no, the the meter would have fallen off the scale on that. Okay. And what sort of politicking did the New Age Outlaws have to do to beat the Steiner brothers? Well, I think both of them were under WWE contract at that time, and if the, that that might be right around when they had that last run. Yeah, because well, because one I was at the the one WWE event I've ever attended was uh, New Age Outlaws Heavy, and that was in 2013 because that was right after Paul Bear died. And I remember being really excited that CM Punk was like fucking with his urn because um, I was 14 and that was cool. And then there was the New Age Outlaws Ascension feud because the Ascension was like one of the first NXT acts to be called up and New Age Outlaws beat them. And a lot of people got really upset, but I was on the side of guys, it's the Ascension. It's going to be OK. Like they weren't <laughs> they weren't destined for stardom. Um, <laughs> let me go through this card. So it was so it was that tag match. European rules fit Finley over Colt Cabana, Mikey Whipwreck and Tajiri over Caleb Conley and Cedric Alexander. Mastery uh, and, and number two, and you could tell this was a high spots <laughs> yes. outfit. Yeah. It's 2012, by the way. <laughs> that, 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 that's why I say that. Cedric Alexander has not wrestled Koto Ibushi yet. Uh, and Caleb Conley, I don't think, I think the scene had just formed. So, uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, Masquerita Dorada versus uh, Demas 316. That match probably rocked. Uh, Kevin Steen versus Tommy Dreamer in a 20 minute street fight. Roderick Strong versus Jake Manning. Sign number three that this was a high spot show. <laughs> was Roderick Strong <laughs> versus the, the Man Scout? Roderick Strong, one of the best wrestlers ever, I've determined, like top fifty of all time, wrestling the Man Scout. Uh, Davy Richards versus Davy Boy Smith Jr., which fucked. I remember that match being awesome. And then uh, Generico and Sasuke versus the Young Bucks, and then like a Legends Battle Royal that apparently the Godfather won at the end. Oh, that, I remember that Battle Royal. That Battle Royal was like one of those all time, just like uh, close the blinds. So this was in your backyard. It was bad. Mondo Guerrero was in that yeah. Battle Royal. I just, in my mind, he died in like 1989, but apparently yeah. he's still alive. Yeah, no, Mondo did. Uh... He was the one that did. He was the the surviving Guerrero brother that did Impact Spanish commentary for what? Hey, did you know that Bill Watts is still alive? Yeah, and he's still like a miserable shit. Okay, I, forget the fact that he's an awful person. What the like? I just Dude. learned this last week that I just assumed he had been. I, I assumed I've been on this earth for twenty three years. I assumed Bill Watts had been dead for twenty four. Dude, you know Bill Watts was like hired by WWE in the nineties. I see that. I guess he was uh, briefly worked as the booker for WWF in 1995. I just, that's crazy to me. I just oh. assumed this man had been dead. And then I learned that he wasn't. Um, and I don't know why I've been hung up on this, but I've been <laughs> waiting to bring this up on this podcast. I learned this two weeks ago that Bill Watts was still alive and I'm just flabbergasted by that. I can't believe it. Oh no. It, it, it It's something that you get like, there is like a, certain type of old man that out of the southwest that will look like that he is 90 years old when he's 40 and he will live until he's 110 bill watts is going to be that person he just looks like it yeah 
He played for, a, this means nothing for you, Case, but this is. He was recruited by Bud Wilkinson in the 60s to play for Oklahoma Sooners. <laughs> Bud Wilkinson. That, that all just sounds very old. I don't know what any of that means, but that sounds like black and white cameras, basically. Bud, oh, just just for the just, just so you get a, a time frame here, Bud Wilkinson, one of the most like formative college football coaches of all time. He started that job at Oklahoma Case, 1947. Jesus Christ. But I, I think it was you know, I think it was a Rover tweet, which he's been on fire lately. But, you know, I just wish like the Sean Ross sap types, instead of tweeting about how revolutionary Raw is, that they would reach out to Ole Anderson, who's still alive, and Bill Watts and get some quotes on that Vince McMahon story. I, I just assume both of those guys had been dead. And then I, I saw a Rover tweet and realized that they weren't. I was like, holy shit, like this is their time to shine how are there not comments about these guys dancing on Vince's grave, despite how horrible they might be themselves? Yeah, no, it's, and, and you know that Ole and Bill Watts, like if you're someone who's wanting a poll quote, those are like the two guys that, you know, they're going to give you something. It might be something that you're going to have to like apologize for publishing, but they will say something, you know, like, like those two guys, I, sorry, case I had to look up this random school that Bud Wilkinson coached at <laughs> that existed <laughs> because it's insane. So this was during World War II, and, and it'll make all sense because I saw the name, and then the name f- threw me off. He was an assistant coach at Iowa Pre-Flight, which is a U.S. Navy pre-flight school at the University of Iowa during the, this, the World War II. That's who Bill Watts played football for, someone who was coaching Navy uh, able, uh, aerial operators. Why can't I say that? But yeah, insane. That sounds horrible. All, every part of that sounded really, really bad. Um, oh, take a guess what their mascot was, Case, while we're here. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a hint. Uh, pro sports team has this mascot as well. And a pro sport that I know for a fact you follow. Is it the Jets? The Seahawks. Oh, oh I'm okay with that. I the mean, Seahawks. Fuck and- the Seattle Seahawks, but I'm, I'm okay with the Seahawks in that instance. Case, did you forget where I said that he coached that Iowa pre-flight? as the Seahawk. <laughs> it was a different time, Mike. Different time. <laughs> it was uh, a different time. All right. Uh, we're, we're, we're already at this point in the showcase, but is there uh, other stuff from Kobe World Weekend you want to touch on from the undercards? I, I, I'm of the belief you can take all the title matches and like the Ultimo stuff, and you have a great all-timer Kobe World with that Twin Gate match, but the undercard stuff just was completely superfluous. Both. So I'm really glad that I reviewed the show that I reviewed because the Kobe World proper undercard dog shit just wouldn't end. And I saw some comments of like, oh, they got through it really fast. And in a way they did because all of those matches were under 10 minutes before the Brave Game match. But just one after another, after another, after another. And I just didn't care for any of those. Uh, I don't really have any thoughts on the Kagatora anniversary match. I guess the one thing we didn't talk about was Dragon Kid and Masato Tanaka versus BB Hulk and Yamato. Did you think anything of this match? I thought that it, other than uh, just talking about both those matches, I'm always happy to see both uh, Jinsei Senzaki and Taro Nohashi. We've said this like two months ago about Taro Nohashi. Yeah, I, he... I love Nohashi. I love when he pops up. Dude, he rules. Uh, looking at my notebooks explicitly, uh, Kakator's gear was really cool. That's my big note I have in that match. He has really sick. Right right in time for a unit change. 
Yeah, you have right in time for Moon Change. He has special high-end gear. And then the DK and Tanaka match, I thought this was actually out of the undercard non-title stuff. This or the opener on night two was the best match on the undercards, I would say. I I, I really enjoyed Tanaka and Yamato bringing out the side of Yamato I loved seeing. Yeah, Masato Tanaka is good whenever he shows up in Drangate. It's, he, the weird thing is... The last two times he's been at Kobe World, the circumstances around him coming in have been so annoying that I think it's taken people out of those matches because the last time he was here, it was 2018, and that was such a mess of a show. And he ended up being uh, in the Triangle Gate match. It was The Natural Vibes team was Horiguchi, Keizi, and Susumu against Takashi Yoshida, Yasushi Kanda, and Masato Tanaka, which is obviously rough on paper. And they had to do that match early in the show because Tanaka was booked to work a 0-1 show later that day. And so it was just one of those, like, why is he here in the first place? Like, what purpose does this serve? Because obviously the Gate audience doesn't really care about him. And then this match, as we discovered last week, it would have been so much more interesting if it was Hulk and Tanaka against Yamato and Dragon Kid, because I really would have liked to have seen Tanaka versus Dragon Kid. But as you said, the Tanaka versus Yamato stuff in particular was very entertaining. I, I like when Yamato's able to get out of his element. Yeah, and it just was something that I know that Jay brought up, like, oh, Yamato's never had any interaction with Masato Tanaka, and he really wanted that. And the, I had a feeling that the two of them would, would gel really well, but it just was like stuff that's like, all right, this isn't, we're not going, we're never going back to 2010 Yamato which I realize is my ideal form of this guy that's never going to happen again. Just certain things are ever going to happen again. But I got a little bit of that feeling, Case, and I needed that on this undercard. I forgot about this match. The, the time before 2018 that Masato Tanaka appeared, Masato Tanaka and Shingo versus Big R Shimizu and BB Hulk, that match, that was Kobe World 2015. That match was a lot of fun. I really liked that. Yeah, because I, I, if I'm right, they made it into a no DQ match. Yeah, I remember there being a table involved because it's a Masato Tanaka match. Right, yeah, no, a, as there was in this. But yeah, no, Tanaka, it, it's something that, like, get him in there in, like, good circumstances. And I'd be super glad to see him. I mean, is he the one in Zero One whose daughter now is starting to wrestle? Like, isn't Masato Tanaka's daughter entering wrestling now? That sounds right. I, I can't confirm or deny, but... I believe uh, you when you tell me that. Uh, check with ta- with Taylor or Kelly; they would know about that. So, like, you would have like a nice like second generation thing. Like, they should really do something with like all the second generation wrestlers. You know, like get like a nice photo shoot at this point because it they, they they really haven't had this opportunity to do this before. You know, that's a good point. Yeah, uh, another match listing here that I enjoy as we wrap up May eleventh, twenty fourteen, Shingo Takagi tenth anniversary show, Akira Tozawa, Masato Yoshino, and Shingo Takagi. Versus Dragon Kid, Masato Tanaka, and at Sushi Onita. That was not the one that made tape, right? No, this this is I have not seen this match. Um, yeah, may, maybe this made a bumper, but certainly not the full match. Nah, no, it wouldn't have because I whenever I think about like Shingo matches, I think about when they had the homecoming match in Yamanashi, and this, since Russell One was still alive at that point, they brought in Muto since he was from Yamanashi, and they randomly had Pyro in the middle of that building. <laughs> And that <laughs> that is on Dragon Gate Network. That was 2017, uh, and it that was, was on King TV Gate too. Yeah, it was Hulk Yamato and Muto versus Shingo T Hawk and Takashi Yoshida. Um, the King of Gate matches on that show. Honda was in one of them, right? El Lindeman defeats 
Jimmy Conda in eight minutes, and Jimmy Susumu defeats Gamma in ten. Um, Case, how sick is it that I was able to remember that? I I really don't want to talk about it, actually. The fact that you're like, oh, May 2017, Jimmy Conda must have been in a singles match. I, I just remember because it was such like a bizarre kind of thing because it, it they had the back before they had the current ring mat, they would have two different ring mats. They would have the TV ring mat, which was the white one. And then all the house show touring, they would have a black mat. That would have all the logos on it. It's something you might see at least of like a 10 year period. There was TV mats and touring mats, but they had the touring mat there. And I remember Conda in like the really like baggy blue pants in the middle of that ring. That's why I remember this match. It's not, I don't have any fondness for Jimmy Conda versus El Lindemann in 2017 King of Gate. I just remember an image of him. Hey, Takashi Yoshida was really fun on commentary yes. on the second show. Yes. Uh, I, made sure to make note of it I, because of uh, Kung Fu Masters opening up the show. It was Takashi Yoshida, basically like the first two or three matches and him and Jay have like really fun chemistry because Yoshida is genuinely charming. Like we knew yes. he was charming, but overwhelmingly like force of nature. No wonder he's such a big baby. I, I think it's in. So the second match on that second show was uh, Genki Saito and Kanda uh, versus a comedy team. And I think uh, when uh, Konamami Chikawa started doing Mudo moves again, and Jay made a reference to All Japan, and Yoshida on commentary goes, Champion Carnival, like my move. I Champion Carnival. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just, it really made me laugh that just word association of broken English. Like, yeah, my move, Champion Carnival. Like, what's up? (laughs) Uh, the, the, The DGUSA Dojo line? They was like, yes, yes. I was. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they 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 were fun. I I you know we don't get English commentary on Kobe Sambo Hall shows, which is a bummer because I you know I think Jay does such a good job. I wish he just went on the loop with them. Um, so Ho Ho doesn't really wrestle in Tokyo a whole lot, and it seems like Genki is sort of the the automatic replacement there. But if Genki and Ho Ho are busy, I you know. Yoshida coming into that chair, I think, is a welcome addition. I, I thought he was very fun. He seemed very engaged with it. Like he seemed yeah. like he wanted to do a good job. It, it was something that you could tell that he was confident enough to do it. I guess in a way, because like you could tell sometimes with uh, other people that have done commentary that you, you, I mean, English amongst the uh, Dragon Gate roster, that's not the secondary language in the roster. So it's whatever they would have known from like school or whatever. So you could tell like there's. A little bit of, you know, the apprehension maybe on commentary with some people in the past. None of that whatsoever, Takashi Yoshida. I don't think this man has been ashamed of him once himself once in his life. <laughs> yeah, he was really fun. That's uh that, that was a uh, an underrated positive of that second show was listening to Yoshida talk some English. Yeah, I, I'm right now looking through the cards. Oh, skateboard family. They they found we thought this was gonna be like a Corkin thing, but the skateboard family, uh, Dragon Dai and Don Fuji, after Dai lost the belt, they had a match against Takashi Yoshida. And the person who Jay told Takashi Yoshida, go tag with him, you will be a good team. And Madoka Fukuda, uh, skateboard family that has some legs if you if you really need something to do with Dragon Dia right now, that was fun. Yeah, I you know, if there was a summer adventure tag, like I think Fuji and Dia would be a, a fun team, but I. 
you know, I mean, that's that's probably, you know, like we were talking about the options of what Yoshioka and Daya can do. Now that they've got that, we might see some late card Don Fuji appearances. We might see some Fuji Daya Yoshioka matches, which I think would be a lot of fun. I mean, the D in D Courage stands for Don Fuji. <laughs> I am Don Fuji. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Let, we, let's we'll, uh b- before we wrap up for yeah. all of for all of the title matches, we'll go we'll go night by night here. So you can give your night one ratings. Uh, I'll give my night one ratings. Then we'll move on to night two. But let's give our star ratings for those uh, title matches one more time, just in case people uh, need recommendations. All right, so let's start with the Ultimo 35th anniversary. This was 7-3. Uh, do you want me to just, should we just read through our ratings rather than just the star, the, the matches, the, the uh, title matches, or just one, two title matches? I'm cool. I know, let's, let's, we can go full card. All right, I did not rate the Dragon Scramble. I rarely rate uh, Battle Royals. Opener, the, uh, the uh, Gold Class versus Natural Vibes, three and a quarter. The Bodyguard match, uh, one and a half stars. That just sucked. Uh, Brave, I was four and a quarter. Uh, the uh, Kakatora anniversary match, two and three. Uh, the uh, DK anniversary match, three and three. Five stars for the uh, uh, Konomawa Chikawa versus Kaito Ishida. Th- uh, three and a half. Hold on, hold on, the- hold on. Who did, who did Konomawa Chikawa wrestle? Did they say Kaito Kiyomiya? You said Kaito Ishida. Sorry, sorry. I was combining names there. Uh, Kijimudo. Sorry, Kijimudo. <laughs> Five star match right there. Perfect. No notes. Uh, Triangle Gate, three and a half. Uh, the Ultimo did not rate. Uh, did not rate either any of the Ultimo stuff. Uh, twin five, Dream, uh, four and a quarter. Uh, the Ultimo 35th anniversary show, my full review is up at voicesofwrestling.com where I'm going to do much more detail. But the opening gold class versus natural vibe six man, I went three and a quarter on. I went two and a half on the bodyguard tag, three and three quarters on the Brave Gate match, three stars on the Kakatori anniversary match, three and a quarter stars on the Dragon Kid anniversary match, a five star rating for Muto versus Ichikawa, three stars on the Triangle Gate two and three quarters on Eita and Nozawa versus Ultimo and Santo, five stars in my current match of the year on the Twin Gate, and four stars on Yoshioka versus Kai. And then for Kobe World proper on the 31st, I have the written review on Voices of Wrestling. Uh, Kung Fu Masters versus Zebrats, three and a half. Uh, Kanda, uh, Sairio, Ginky versus the Comedy Team, two and a half. Uh, UT, Gurken Mask, uh, Monday Ryu, Ishinahashi, Kagatora, Arakan, Punch Tomonaga, and Fuda, three and a quarter. Skateboard Family versus Yoshida and Kakuda, three and a quarter. Aganisu versus Gold Class, three. The Brave, three and a half. I did not rate the uh, Legends versus Peros match. Triangle, four. And then Dream, four and a quarter. On the Kobe World proper show, I went three and a half on the opener. I did not rate the comedy match number two. I went uh, two and three quarters on the young guys multi-man match i went two and three quarters on the kakuta match uh the skateboard uh father and son match rather uh three and a quarter on gold class versus owashi and kanda three and three quarters on the brave gate three stars on the peros versus old man luchadors match three and three quarters on the triangle gate and four stars on the dream gate I just realized something that I w- that I wanted to bring up in hour one that I'll be real quick about. No, please. I, I, I got time. Go ahead. I think the thing about this that really got me about this weekend and why I'm so just underwhelmed about the uh, 
the undercards, even though a lot of the stuff, I would say with the exception of that one and a half star match, that's usually how things are in the undercard. There just were was not any point to half the stuff that was not. If it was not a anniversary match or if it was not the skateboard family match in the undercard, there really was no rhyme or reasons where at least non-title matches on big shows, yeah, you'll get three undercard matches, maybe four, maybe one of them has a storyline to it, but the rest of them have some thought and care. And I did not feel like there was a lot of thought and care. I, I would completely co-sign that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Sorry. It was just something that when reading off the results, I was like, I had this on a on a note card of stuff I wanted to talk to Case about tonight. <laughs> so I'm glad we got that in before we close things out. Uh, I, I had the Dragon Gate English Twitter pulled up for a reason, Case, but that was two hours ago. And now I don't remember what it was. Oh, it was the Rookies. Before we get out of here, they announced the 2022 rookies are going to be making moves slash also uh, debuting, scrolling all the way down through the Twitter account, making these announcements on the Kobe World Weekend makes it a lot more difficult. But I was just trying to get the name. So I, I got this right before we got out of here. But one of them is going to Tori Moncasa directly. That is the first direct to excursion person since UT back in 2013. And then uh, it was Ka- it was Kaito Nagano. Nagano is the one that will be debuting, I think, in Fukuoka next month. Yeah, it's Fukuoka. Yeah, on the on the 14th, I believe. 21st, I finally found 21st. it. 21st, okay, yes. Sorry. Uh, yeah, it's a week off, but yeah. So another rookie joins the fray in August, and one gets sent to Mexico, and hopefully we'll have footage of him sooner rather than later. Yep, absolutely. But as we said, uh, we'll be back next week, later on in the week, as it is a Cork and Hall week, and the Cork and Hall is on the 10th, so it'll be next Wednesday, so probably expect to hear from us probably on Thursday, just going through the schedule. Then just close this out. It was Corkin on the 10th, Edeon Arena Saka on the 14th, Doubleheader and Fukuoka on the 21st, which has Nagano's debut, Sambo Hall on the 27th, and they close out the next day. They're going back to Nara, Naruki Doi's hometown for the annual homecoming show. But I think that's all I have, Case. We're healthily in hour three. So if there was anything, Randy, you wanted to get out of the way, while we're in hour three, go right up. No, I, I haven't, I haven't been on any dates lately. I got, uh, did I, did I tell you about the the woman who compared me to her schizophrenic ex boyfriend? No, you did not. Okay, that's a story for another time. Um, it's cool. I, I understand. <laughs> um, it's probably, it's probably a little unfair to say she could pair me to him, but I was in the same sentence as her schizophrenic ex boyfriend. Um. I, I was seeing this girl for like a month and then that fizzled out. That was in June. And I just, I've been, I've been burnt out recently. Um, so I, ha- I don't, I don't have anything new. I, you know, I, yeah, I, I, that'll change. I'm, I'm starting to feel it again. I'm starting to, to go through hinge more, but I really, I let like all of my conversations expire there. I was not bummed out, but I was burnt out. Uh, but you know, it's cuffing season. Cuffing season is around the corner, so I'll fire up uh, the engines once more, once more, and uh, hopefully bring many stories to the listeners again. Cuffing season. We're in hot season, young man. Because we're at the we tail end are... of hot girl summer. I've already, I've already thrown in the towel on the... Mountain Dew Spark Beach oh. and Chill. It's it, we're too we're too late in the year for that. The beach is closed in a month, uh, so I, I've got to look ahead to sweater weather and cuffing season as my next time to make a move. I'm now wondering what's going to be the autumn Mountain Dew. 
you know oh, what's gonna be God, the fall I, mountain dew like what wait. flavor we'll set up a group chat you me and rich Krejci, and uh oh, we'll, we'll hash it out <laughs> yeah it, it, it can't be any more that gingerbread shit that was disgusting i thought the that, gingerbread stuff was a win i love the uh they've done a, a line of like baja blast sub flavors yeah i've seen those so i i really like fruit like i'm obviously i'm not a vegetable guy but i really like fruit i don't like mangoes all that much but the mango baja blast the orange one is outstanding really top tier dew flavor i've been drinking a lot of that lately you know i'm a big mango guy if you know one thing about mike spears is that he's a mango guy but there's not very many good mango flavored drinks like artificially mango flavored things like like the monster mango underwhelming very underwhelming if you go get zero fiesta i hope that's because a lot of other things were sold out at your convenience store uh there there was like watermelon there was uh, not watermelon ma- mango rain also bad so i will try this one because i because again no one thing about me big into mangoes but i don't know i mean if you say it's good case then i'll give it a shot yeah please report back i think when we eventually do our torimon x uh rewind and rewatch series which don't count on it anytime soon i i am working far too much to dip into torimon x footage right now with the limited free time that i have but i think your nickname for those shows is not going to be iron mike spears or rather mango mike spears that seems like a torimon x gimmick Oh, yeah, I would love to be a member of Los Salsas Hoppin, uh, Habanero. Yeah, yeah, Los Salsas Habaneses. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but I think that's going to do it for this week. We'll be back, as we said, probably towards the end of next week with the Cork interview. You could follow us at Open Voice Gate. Our reviews are at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Case had the Saturday 30th, the Ultimo Dragon 35th anniversary show. I had Kobe World 2022 on the 31st. You can find those at voicesofwrestling.com. You can follow us on Twitter at OpenVoiceGate. Cases at underscore in your case. I'm at Fujiheya. Thanks for listening to Open Voice Gate. We'll be back with you next time to see what all the fallout is from Kobe World Weekend. Take care. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.